heart is broken, strength is weak. I need safety, I want relief from this pain, from this grief, from this anger. Lord, give me peace and help me to release. These things depleting me And with the strength I have left I'm gonna run to you
happy Wednesday, happy middle of the week. We're almost there, hang in there. Thank you so much for joining us for our praise and worship segment. It is hashtag WCW, we celebrate women today. We do this through music. A little reflection for us this morning. What dream or plans do you have as you build for God? How can you put Christ at the cornerstone of your plan, building it for him? Think about that for today. It is 10 after the top of the hour. Coming up in a few, we're going to have the headlines that we're going to be talking about today. Stories from around the world. Thank you for tuning in to Coffee in Tow. This one is titled Victory by Brenda Waters, featuring Reverend Michael Mack. We don't know how he's going to do it, but we can trust that he will.
Yes, folks, we got to start the day off right. Got to be grateful. Got to give thanks in our own way. It's my offering. Lay me at the throne. Leave me there alone. To gaze upon your glory and sing to you this song. Please take me going to squeeze in one more from CC Winans and then we'll go ahead and let you know what we're talking about today the goodness of God in darkest nights you are close like no other I've known you as a father I've known you Be the peace that you want in the world so that you are not in pieces. I love you, Lord, for your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been held in your... It is a quarter past the top of the hour, but I'm going to be obedient and I'm going to let this one play. Until I lay my Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. Cause all my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able. Of the goodness of God I love your voice You have led me through the fire And in darkest nights You are close like no other I've known you as a father I've known you as a friend I have lived in the goodness 
He's not asking us to be perfect. He knows we are sinners. Yes, he does. He knows us better than we know ourselves. Trust and believe that. And yet he seeks to bless us. Thank you for his grace. Thank you for his mercy. Thank you for taking us through. Can you believe that even when even though we are yet sinners his goodness is running after us yes indeed lord we thank you Just want us to stop for a minute and think about every obstacle that we've faced, every challenge that we've encountered, every quote unquote bad time that we experienced and that we were able to get through. It wasn't on our own, folks. He brought us through. Thank you so much for that one, CC Winans. We're going to go ahead and get started. say good morning to all our listeners around the world everyone in europe everyone in south america throughout the caribbean north america um asia thank you so much for tuning in and in africa as well i can't leave them out yes the list is long i can't break it down by country but i sure can tell you we are on every 
continent. Thank you so much for tuning into the Quality Music Zone, QMZRadio.com and JanoRadio.com. Of course, I gotta say good morning to my studio audience. What, what, what would coffee in tow be without my studio audience? All courtesy of Clubhouse. It is Wednesday, April 26. We celebrate women today, every Wednesday. And what does that mean if it's your first time here with us? Every Wednesday, we play songs by women. Sung by women, written by women, produced by women, all about the women. Thank you so much for joining me for Coffee in Tow, World News on the Go. We do this every Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. This is where I read the news and we share our views. You can find me on Twitter at me media moments on Instagram moments underscore with underscore me underscore media and on TikTok moments with me media. And here is what we have going on today. It's light in the Caribbean corner today. Uh, suspected Haiti gang members stoned and set on fire by crowd. Horace Chang says rival criminal gangs are forming strategic partnerships. What on earth? Okay, Jamaica, what you plan to do about that one? A section of the North Coast Highway is to be named in honor of Harry Belafonte. Out of Latin America, U.S. launches first deportation flight to Cuba since COVID-19. On the international scene, India to pass China this week as the world's most populous nation. Taliban kill mastermind of suicide bombing at Kabul airport. Iran charges two actresses for not wearing hijab. In the UK, British aristocrats are asking King Charles to join a slavery reparations movement. And Prince William got a very large sum in a Murdoch settlement in 2020. In news out of North America, U.S. to send nuclear ballistic submarines to Korean Peninsula. DeSantis talks trade with South Korean officials. Texas Agriculture Department's new dress code is based on biological gender. Here's some good news. New Orleans Senior receives a record-breaking $9 million in scholarships. 170 college offers. That's amazing. And this teacher teaches African-American history. You know, the course rejected by Ron DeSantis. You go Mr. Teacher. In business and tech news, grandma did not pay taxes. Now, her house is focus of property rights test case. AI boosts productivity by 14% in real world study, especially for least skilled workers. In health and science news in Oklahoma, a woman was told to wait until she's crashing for abortion care. I'm so ready for my own private island, believe it or not. And talking about believe it or not and believe it or not news, a Christian teacher claims God told her to become a porn star. Spoke about this on the Rosolo show last night. Oh boy, Florida Uber Eats driver killed and dismembered in demonic attack. And a man urinates on a passenger aboard American Airlines flight from New York. I guess he couldn't hold it together. 
Oh boy. A judge reportedly refuses to allow Flo Rida to testify in child support hearing after he failed to appear in person. And that's in the Brew Entertainment News. Also, Tyrese has been ordered to pay over half a million dollars in child support and legal fees. We're going to have um, these stories and more. And of course, a great conversation. After a little more music, here is Angie Stone with Brother. Is my king, king. is my one, one. Yes, he's my father. Yes, he's my son. I can talk to him because he understands everything I go through. I'm going to pull this one up for all the good men out there holding it down, the best thing. taking care of them. Ooh, and I think I just lost internet. I hope Clubhouse is hearing me still. Okay. About my. And there we have it. Thank you for the static clubhouse. I appreciate you. I was just about to ask you to pull it up. <laughs> I'm just waiting for this noise this, that I'm feedback I'm getting from clubhouse to chill out. And then I, I, I am going to pull it back up. Definitely. He's misunderstood. All right, Clubhouse tripping on me this morning. I'm playing with them today. He's my father. Yes, he's my son. I can talk to him because he understands everything I go through and everything I am. He's my support system. I can't live without him. The best thing since sliced bread is his kiss, his hugs, his lips, his touch. And I just want the whole world to know about my black brother. I love you and I'll never not sure what's going on javette they playing with me this morning no it's not just you i'm getting it i'm getting it right here too i'm hearing it i don't know what clubhouse is doing because i'm getting various messages i don't know what this one means can't parse response what the heck does that mean clubhouse i don't know yeah my need to, i don't know if it's me teflon or if it's clubhouse i don't know what's, what's up with them but i keep getting these different error messages at the top in red what the heck is can't parse response guess they don't want us talking this morning <laughs> Bangles, stop us. All right, thank you. Thank you, everyone. No, no, no. Yes, we got a big up for good brothers the ones who are holding it down the ones who have our backs the ones who are involved in their children's lives or the lives of 
any child in their families, the ones who look out for us, who protect us, the ones who provide, the ones who are just all around good. We love you and we lift you up. You know, I heard a conversation uh, yesterday and I had to step back for a second. It really can't be easy for a man, especially a man who is really trying to hold it down. Come on now, Angie. It is the bottom of the hour. Time for us to go ahead and get started. And as always, we kick it off in the Caribbean corner. Thank you once again to everyone logged on to the Quality Music Zone, QMZRadio.com. And everyone listening on the non-stop party vibe station, johnoradio.com. And of course, everyone right here with me on Clubhouse. First up, suspected Haiti gang members stoned and set on fire by a crowd. Story courtesy of aljazeera.com. More than a dozen suspected gang members in Haiti were lynched and their bodies set on fire by residents in the capital Port-au-Prince. That's according to police and witnesses, as the United Nations warned that insecurity in the city had reached levels comparable to countries in armed conflict. Haiti National Police said in a brief statement that officers in the city's Canap Verde section stopped and searched a minibus for contraband, and this happened early on Monday, and had confiscated weapons from suspects before they were unfortunately lynched by members of the population. The statement did not elaborate on how many members of the crowd were able to take control of the suspect or suspects rather. A witness who gave his name as Edna Samuel told the Associated Press News Agency that members of the public took the suspected gang members away from police, beat them, stoned them, put tires on them, poured gasoline over them, and burned them. An AP reporter at the scene counted 13 bodies burning in a street. Photos by Reuters and videos circulating on social media showed several bodies piled on the road with smoking tires and other objects on top of them. People surrounded them shouting angrily. One person can be seen beating 
the lifeless bodies with a blunt object. The gruesome killings followed days of confrontations between gang members and security forces. Gangs in Haiti have grown in strength since the 2021 assassination of President Jovenel Moïse, with residents caught in the middle as large portions of the capital and much of the countryside have become lawless. Bloody gang turf battles have led, left hundreds dead and thousands displaced. Criminal groups control about 80% of the Port-au-Prince metropolitan area, where some 200 gangs operate with impunity, and that's according to estimates. Whew, wow, that's a rough one, but um, people are fed up. People want restoration, people want peace, people want to move forward, and people are just tired. You know, good morning. Good morning, Javet. Moments, when you first read the story, I took your stance, but then I said to myself, how do they know it was the actual people or it wasn't the people from the rival gang doing it? that that's you know something that's a val that's a very valid point good point good point we can only go according to what the media has provided us with and i guess we know with boots on the ground there um and what's being said to them that's what they have to go with you know i hope we hope it's not a rival gang that is doing this but actually frustrated citizens. Am I saying that's the right thing either to burn people? No. But when you think of um, all the heinous acts that have been committed by gangs, the rape, the murder, the kidnapping. Oh, what can I say, Javed? What can I say? We just keep our fingers crossed, right? Yes. Yeah, that's all we can do at this point. Um, uh, next up, so we head on over to Jamaica. Horace Chang, rival criminal gangs are forming strategic partnerships. What on God's earth is going on? All right, so let's get into this one. Story courtesy of Nationwide Radio, JM.com. National Security Minister Dr. Horace Chang says criminals from rival gangs have taken things up a notch, forming strategic partnerships to commit certain crimes. Oh, okay, what, they have a meeting or something? They have a conference? Well, we observe that the criminal terrorists are operating in organized alliances to hit high-value targets. These kinds of criminal activities tend to generate heightened national concern, such as setting up ATMs, where we know they have acquired equipment to rapidly extract an ATM machine. They can take, cut out or remove an ATM machine in less than 10 minutes. Right? The targeting of cash in transit and other cash-heavy locations. Inter-gang wars have been reduced some significantly, Madam Speaker. We don't hear too much of this gang against that gang. But it relates to what is happening in terms of the organized criminal activity. Impact of the criminal terrorist alliances. Now what they are forming is alliances between gangs to make these big, high public interests the National Security Minister pointed to the recent spate of ATM attacks as an example. When there was disorder on the road, and it still is, not fully settling yet, everybody liked to charge the police officer. I call my officers, I don't think they mind me saying it. 
It ended up that every taxi-giving problem was owned by a policeman. Every policeman was taking some out of the car window to prevent to prevent um, prosecuting them. But the breaches of the road were disordered because the police officers were in discipline. What is emerging without any doubt today? The police officers are issuing 7,000 tickets per week. 7,000 plus with 800 ticket machines. They enjoy doing it. They are proving to others that they are not out there to collect money. <laughs> that issue the tickets. Government is getting the money. I'm sorry. I'm trying to stifle my laughter. And it's a serious situation, but sometimes, you know, as we say in Jamaica, you have to take bad things, make jokes. So you're telling me that inter-gang rivalry, they're able to get, the gangs are able to gain control of themselves and now they're forming alliances and working together, you know, um, pinpointing the, their strengths. And then, <laughs> I'm sorry, Lord, forgive me for this. Forgive me for this. So if they can get it together, why we can't get it together? Huh? They realize that they're better off working together. They can accomplish more. So why we can't do the same thing? What's wrong with us? They realize that fighting against each other is not going to accomplish anything. Why can't we realize that too? We need to stop fighting against each other. Putting, our, putting groups against group or group against group. <laughs> I'm sorry. <sighs> Nothing to laugh about, but um, I hope that they will, when they're having their meetings, when the various, you know, I, I'm thinking here that all the gang leaders are probably watch too many Italian mafian movies. I, I'm thinking here all the gang leaders are having a meeting or on a conference table, you know, and they're, you know, figuring out, okay, your strength is ATM, so you hang that, yours is, you know what, let me stop, let me stop, let me stop. I hope though that in their meetings they are saying how can you know let us not kill people start that so you got rob a man rob him but nobody kill him let's stop the rape let's see how we can protect our children something positive i'm looking because if they're gonna work together they might as well see how they can work together for good as well all right wishful thinking fairy tale world but it is what it is sorry Ah, next story, no government objection to Century Aluminum's purchase of 55% stake in Jamalco. Story courtesy of Nationwide Radio. Finance Minister Dr. Nigel Clark says the government offers no objection to the acquisition by Century Aluminum of the Noble Group's 55% stake in the Jamalco bauxite plant. Century Aluminum is a global producer of primary aluminum, operating smelters in the United States and Ireland. The government owns the remaining 45% stake. In welcoming the announcement, Dr. Clark says the government looks forward to working with uh, Century to maximize the value of Jamalco for all stakeholders. 
In November 2021, a major fire damaged the Jamalco power plant and forced an almost year-long suspension of production. Limited production resumed in August last year. Dr. Clark says the sale of 55% of the company paves the way for new investment to improve operating efficiency. I have one issue, though. Why is it that Century owns more than the government of Jamaica? Shouldn't it be the other way around? The government um, owning 55% and Century 45%. And this is something we talk about all the time. We're giving um, investors more and keeping less for ourselves. And I understand a lot of negotiation goes into play. And I do understand that um, these investors are carrying the burden of the cost sometimes to set up um, facilities. I get that. But still, I guess some people would say 45% is a large enough stake. I don't know. But I honestly think no outside company should own more than 50%. If you want to go 50-50, that's fair. But they should not own 55. Not even 51%. But that's me. But, you know, what do I know? What does I know? Nothing. All right, next story. A section of the North Coast Highway to be named in honor of Harry Belafonte. Down the way where the nights are gay and the sun shines daily on the mountain top, I took a trip on a sailing ship and when I reached Jamaica I made a stop but I'm sad to say I'm on my way won't be back for many a day my heart is down my head is turning around I had to leave a little girl in Kingston town Prime Minister Andrew Holness says a segment of the North Coast Highway is to be named in honor of late legendary Jamaican musician Harry Belafonte. He made the announcement in the House of Representatives on Tuesday. Everywhere and the dancing girls swing to and fro. Madam Speaker, we approve the naming of a segment of the North Coast Highway from Priory to Salem in St. Anne in honor of Harry Belafonte. And that segment would be renamed the Harry Belafonte Highway. We chose that segment of highway because it passed through St. Anne in proximity to his, his place of birth. Mm. And where he lived. He also says plans are under consideration to name a state-of-the-art performing arts center in his honor. But, Madam Speaker, we also discussed another plan, but it was not captured in the cabinet decision, which was to build, and the plan is still, still under consideration, which is to build a state-of-the-art performing, performing arts center in St. James, 
that would be named in his honor. That was Prime Minister Andrew Holness. Meanwhile, Prime Minister Andrew Holness has expressed sadness at the passing of Harry Belafonte. The Prime Minister described Belafonte as a true ambassador for Jamaica and Jamaican culture. He says Belafonte was a barrier-breaking singer, actor, and activist who used his talent and platform to promote social justice. And the Minister of Culture, Gender, Entertainment, and Sport, Olivia Grange, has praised Belafonte as a voice, face, and inspiration for black people everywhere. Minister Grange said he was an important promoter of folk music, bringing Day O, Jamaica Farewell, and other songs to America and elsewhere. For his part, opposition leader Mark Golding remembered Belafonte as a tireless advocate for civil rights and a staunch opponent of racism, inequality, and oppression. In a statement on Tuesday afternoon, Golding noted that Belafonte's contributions to the fight against apartheid in South Africa and his advocacy for the rights of the marginalized will forever be treasured. The government of Jamaica awarded Belafonte the nation's fourth highest award, the Order of Merit in 2018. I have one problem. I think the entire highway through the parish of St. Anne um, should be named in his honor. Yes, he grew up in St. Anne, um, eight miles up in the hills um, from where I am. Yeah, so I would say that. And also, I'm going to ask why the Performing Arts Center can't be built in St. Anne. I'm being a little greedy. Why does it have to be done in St. James? Just just being greedy. Sorry. Uh, you can't satisfy people. No, true. You can never do anything to please people. You do something for them, them want more. <laughs> And you're complaining about St. Anne, and I'm complaining about why I give it to him the day he dies. I, I, why don't you give people... I'm sorry. Good which morning. One, which one, Rosola? Give him... Good morning, by the way. Give him Why didn't one? they give... If, if it was... It, Harry, Andrew Holness, Prime Minister Holness, announced this yesterday, right? Mm-hmm. Announced the, the naming of the, the highway, day. right? The naming of the highway yesterday, when after he died. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if, if it's that easy to do it, why didn't you give this man this honor while he was alive? You can announce it hours after he passed, and I'm grateful for it. Don't, don't, don't. I don't want anyone to think that I'm being ungrateful. Mm-hmm. I, I love Harabella Fonte. I think he should get every accolade in the world based on what he did, not just it because of his music, but because of his civil rights service. But so, but my thing is, if you could announce and do that hours, Harry Belafonte has been doing this for years. He died at 96 years old. He's been an activist for years and years, decades. Any accolade you could have given him when he was alive, and I get it, but to sometimes give people their flowers when they're still here, it was hours. If you could do it hours after he passed, then you could have done it before. I That's agree. just my thing. I That's agree with me. you. I'm I sorry. agree, Russell. No, 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 no apologies. I agree with you. I, I think it's a bunch of crap that he gets up and does it hours after the man passes. I think that's a, um, yeah, keep it highway. The highway should have been named Harry Belafonte years ago. The man's 96 years old. I'm sorry. It's, I'm, <laughs> you can hear it in my voice. No apologies. I'm so sorry. Oh, no give apologies. people their flowers <laughs> and their accolades and their prizes and their gifts and their love while they're here. Isn't that what they do? It's, 
cynical. Why would you? Uh, but here's the thing, Rosola. Even after people are long gone, it's still a fight to give them what they rightfully deserve. Exactly. Mm -hmm. and it's, it's very frustrating. It's it very is. frustrating. Look at what's going on with, um, with, with uh, Marcus Garvey. Look at the debate around Bob Marley. It's things that we shouldn't be debating about. It's, there's, a, there's no debate. So, hold <laughs> no, on. <there's> no... <laughs> no, go ahead. Go ahead, Rosola. Go ahead. No, go I'm ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Say it. No, say as I'm saying. saying Bob Marley. So anybody familiar with the massacre of 1963 that happened in Jamaica? Anybody familiar with that? Okay. Well, in 1963, then Prime Minister the great Alexander Bustamante, who is one of our national heroes, all right? He ordered that Rastas must be brought in dead or alive. So that's a war against Rastafarians. To me, that's a crime against humanity. And so what was happening then was that police were rounding up Rastas, dead or alive. All because these folks would not give in to a request for some land. You hear me? Um, but he was able to get national hero status. But we are denying Bob Marley national hero status because of his lifestyle. And what's the lifestyle? He's Rastafarian, multiple children with, um, or should say children with multiple women. Whose business is that? Yours? If his wife... But the was, women don't care. Exactly. The women don't care. If his wife was the one when they're on tour going to his hotel, because they didn't share the, the same hotel room. If his wife was the one going to the room and saying, telling the young lady, our young ladies in there with him, it's time for you to go. He needs his rest. Why is it your business? Give the man his due for what he has done and is still continuing to do for the island of Jamaica. You will go into some places where they not, them not understand Jamaica until they say Bob Marley. But, you, but yet, someone who said, round them up, is a national hero. <laughs> Ooh, this is what you call it, the byproduct <laughs> of colonization. We turned our own against our own. And still a struggle to today. Still is a struggle to today. Of course, you know, the times have turned or, you know, times have changed a bit and the tides have turned, but still not to the level we desire. I agree with you, Rosola. We have to celebrate people whilst they're, they are alive so that they can appreciate it. Them dead. Them can't appreciate, when they, appreciate it when them dead and gone. We need to do more. What was the hiccup? What was the holdup? Hmm? Apparently, there was no hiccup. 
You did it in hours. Apparently, that's what that's what's so frustrating to me. Apparently, there's no hiccup. You did it within hours. <laughs> it just wasn't important. Let's let's just say that it was. Yes, no. and now it's now you want to ride on the man's death. No, I'm done. Let me not say it. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. All right, for the next story, uh, thank you so much, Javed, for sending this one over to me because I wanted to talk about it this week. I was going to wait until Friday, but you know what? We're going to go ahead and talk about it. Violence against women. Um, if you have not seen the video, I invite you, for those of you who are on Clubhouse, take a look, uh, click on the link at the top. Um, for those of you who are listening online, you can go to dancehallmag.com. Diverse injured after man interrupted Toronto performance and threw microphone at her face. Canada-based dancehall artist Diverse has been left in pain and with stitches to her left eye following an incident at a stage show at Chateau Le Jardin. I, I can't even pronounce it. Jardin Jardin. I don't speak a French. I know parlez-vous français. And this happened last Friday in Toronto. The show was headlined by Rising Star Valiant. Diverse was injured when an unidentified man who is reportedly an upcoming artist walked on stage during her performance and grabbed the microphone from her, which he then flung at her face after she responded by nudging him. Granted, in the video, if, my, if I'm seeing correctly, he grabbed, the, he, he grabbed the, the mic from her and pushed her, you know. He, she pushed him. For, he grabbed the mic. She pushed him. Right. So, and then he threw the mic. And then he threw the mic. Thank you. Thank you, Rosolo. So, which he then flung at her face after she responded by nudging him. The incident, which was caught on HD video, has gone viral, sparking public debate on social media as the man involved in the incident remains at large. Diverse, whose given name is Lisa Pierre, told Dancehall Mag that she was invited on stage by fellow female dancehall artist KDN, formerly Double K, to be a part of her set and to perform their collaborative effort, One Phone Call, when the incident happened. KDN explained what she witnessed. Give her the mic and this man walk out on the stage. To be honest, I thought he was a promoter or something to him behave. Actually, I never say exactly everything because I, as I handed the mic, as I handed her the mic, I walked off. Diverse added further insight. I was about to start the verse for the song and I felt this hand grab the microphone, but I did not let go of it same time because I knew I was performing. So how can someone take the mic out of my hand? He grabbed the mic and said something about, about him being tired of being styled or something like that. He walked over and talked to the crowd and nudged me out of the way. So it was a reflex from me because he pushed me out of the way. So I nudged him and he ended up losing his footing and was falling. So he flung the mic right in my forehead. I think it was the fling of the mic that caused him to, fa to fall. It wasn't me, but it seemed like it was me. He ran out same time because my husband was there trying to defend me. Blood started running from my face like water, Diverse added. I was bleeding for a long time, 
before I left to the venue. The police did show up and asked if I needed an ambulance, but I told them no. I went to the hospital and got the stitches and they said ice and Tylenol for now. I'm also having difficulty eating as my jaw is swollen. The show's promoter, Patrick Johnson, popularly known as Diamond Ice, apologized to Diverse for the incident, even as he admitted he does not know the man who assaulted her. We don't know the person, but we know he was asking Cryer to her for the microphone because he wanted his song to be heard somehow. He was even involved in some entanglement with the selector before trying to get the mic. That's according to Diamond Ice. After Kadian gave her the mic, it's like he couldn't wait, so he took the mic from her and he just started her and she had just started her performance and was going good. Um, what is this thing with violence against women? Why we have strength for women but not for men? Let me ask the men the question. Why is it they don't have strength for the man them or not for, for the woman them and not for the man them? But also to this point, he pushed her, so she's not supposed to push back? Exactly. You come and grab the mic out of her hand, right? She's about to perform. The girl hands her the mic. You come and grab them, come up on stage and grab the mic out of her hand, making it look as though you're some popular performer. So first of all, don't tell me that y'all don't know who it is. Y'all know who it is. He was on stage. He was in back. Of the, he was there. <laughs> <laughs> that okay? part. that's the first thing so you know who he is i'll mm -hmm. say it you know who he is mm -hmm. and for y'all to sit there and say you don't know who he is is you further protecting someone who abused a woman he threw the mic at her because he lost his she shoved him and he fell period don't touch me mm -hmm. so now she everybody's hiding him because of what mm. he but the girl's face is is her half of her face is swollen her eyes swollen shut because of a mic, because you threw the mic in her face. Hmm. And then he fell, got up, and still had the drunken bottle in his hand. No, it's unacceptable. Fine, I'm going to find out who he is. Trust me, I am. I know I will. <laughs> you know what bothered me about this as well? We have all these groupy road people that travel with a show right and i don't really think anybody's really vetting them so for him to just be able to just walk on the stage and grab the mic i ain't see no type of security no nothing so like y'all said they know who he is because he's some groupy person that rides with them so-called up and caught up and coming artists mm -hmm. and he should have fell off the stage because how are you going to come and disrespect me and grab something out of my hand shove me out the way and then get upset because i pushed you back he should have fell off the stage and broke his neck mm. it was so disrespectful it was so disrespectful i didn't see no security even after he grabbed it you would have thought someone would have came up and you know did like what are you doing like mm -hmm. why are you here nobody you're not supposed to be here on the stage but we have all these so-called friends people traveling with us or coming to shows and we just let anybody in a venue and that's ridiculous <laughs> what if he was the type of person that walked with a weapon and y'all know what weapon i'm talking mm -hmm. about so then what he would have shot up the place too nah you need more security and you need to really vet people that you're bringing around your group in your people i yield thank you thank you thank you ladies go ahead teflon yeah, that's true what you said. 
but I'm also thinking, what about if this person was some random person from the crowd? It could be someone that wasn't part of the entourage. You know, it happens a lot. You have some random crazy people, they just come off, like, come, come from the crowd and storm the stage. It happens, you know? But yeah, it could be part of the entourage as well. The thing, though, Teflon, when you look at the video, nobody stopped him. Why wasn't he stopped? If he was not a part of the entourage, he should have been stopped. Another thing, I always wonder why you have to have this one bag of people upon the stage with dance hall things. I can never understand it. To the left, to the right, I can't. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I hate to see it. If I yeah, clear yeah. the damn stage, we don't need all of y'all up there. Yeah, you get that with the hip hop artists as well. They always have a big entourage. Yeah. Did you see I don't know if you saw um, the Dipset um, verses. They literally had the whole of Brooklyn. For <laughs> what? Island, crazy. crazy. Crazy, but um, in terms of how he got third and he didn't get stopped, um, it, it could be, um, it could be like, just like this, um, I don't know, just like the spur of the moment. You know, sometimes it just happens, happens so quick. Because um, like, sometimes even when it got um, security, um, sometimes if it happens really quick, it's like really hard to like stop them there and then. And they always end up reacting when the incident actually happens. So, yeah, it's, I don't know. But it's crazy, it's sad, sad that that happens. It's really bad. It is. It really is. I have to tell y'all that if that happened in Brooklyn, he would not have gotten away. I'm just going to say that. But okay, so I'm depends on which entourage is with. <laughs> okay, so, so hold on a second. That's the bit I don't understand how the, that how he got away. That that's that's what I don't get. He should have been caught. But hold on now. If you look at one of the videos I'm looking at, right at the very beginning of the video, let me just go back again. He was on the stage they know who this man is he is exactly. on the stage with a bottle of hennessy in his hand he's standing right behind the cameraman right and then behind evidently is i don't know if it's the host a man in a black t-shirt right he's been right there and th so he's been waiting to go on he goes on grab the michael tarhan Okay, hold on. Grab the mic out her hand. Push her out the way. So she pushed him back. Rightfully so. Push down in blouse and skirt. Yes. Anyway. um, Yeah. So they know who he is. I want nobody to tell me said they don't know. Because if you don't know who he is, why would he be standing there patiently waiting at this? And I'm using patiently very loosely, folks. Quote, unquote. Why would he be there at the, at the side of the stage? Right behind the DJ right beside where they have the arm um, keyboards and stuff with the bakla hennessy in my hand they and know he who he says, is rosola are you there i'm sorry okay i'm here okay. he also he whatever whatever he says his statement alludes to the fact that he is was waiting to perform and he sort of got impatient mm -hmm. that's what that's what he, he says he says something about i don't remember what he said i really don't but he says that you know it, it, He's he's been waiting and he's impatient. And okay. yes, and she pushed him back and he and she, he her push made him fall. I don't know why she won't claim it, 
when I pushed him, he fell, period. That's what happened. He fell, as rightly so, fell off the stage. But he how he got stumbled. out of that building, I don't know. He's, he's he stumbled. stumbled. He did not fall. <laughs> he stumbled. <laughs> okay, he stumbled. <laughs> <laughs> he stumbled. <laughs> I'm, my apologies to that. Lucky because if I'm in my get a stamp in her face. Okay. Exactly. 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 That is the other thing, too. They allowed him to leave. Allow him to leave. The crowd allowed him to leave because when he fell down, they just watched him. Yeah. They watched him walk out. Nobody tried to stop him. So it tells okay. me that in this culture they are okay with men abusing women. They're okay with it, clearly. And women are okay with it too. Because not one woman in the crowd said, Whoa, brethren, stop. Where you go? I don't know who all the man. So now come to me about and I don't know who this person is. Okay, so um, I think I'll, I missed most of the um, the article. So so this guy is um is a performer. Mm -hmm. is there, yes. Okay, 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 okay. Apologies. Yeah, I, I didn't. I, I thought it was some random person. Okay, so it's probably it sounds like a um, an up and coming artist that was so eager to get his music um, heard or something like that. Right. No, it yeah. says he's up and coming, so he's not even a performer. He's a wannabe yeah. and didn't want to wait his turn. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they definitely. Knew who he was, and <clears throat> yeah, he should have been stopped. Exactly. So, yeah. He's waiting to know uh, who he all is. These, all, these, all these guys stand there; they should be protecting this woman, you know. Exactly. Yeah, he, yeah. He, he's probably one of those that they pay five hundred dollars. You know, you have to wait till the end. Well, everybody, or you know, something. he didn't get paid. He didn't get paid. He didn't get paid. Nobody knows. Nobody not paying him. And that's why we need to know who he is. I need to know who he is. He didn't get paid. His paid is to perform. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. People like that, they don't pay. They um, don't beg to get um, to get a little looking. So. <laughs> and then you're yeah. waiting to perform, and you drink off a bottle of Hennessy because the, the bottle was empty, barely. Um, almost. There was barely any, almost empty. Yeah. So you come on, you not only do that, and then when he gets up, he's still he's holding the bottle of Hennessy. Yeah. Let me tell you something about that bottle of Hennessy on him. I'm not. Let me come up. <laughs> yeah, come off, come off, come off. Taking us back to our old life. <laughs> he would have brought it right back out of me. Every <laughs> that bottle would have mash up. That that I'm was sorry. once upon a time, folks. That that was before mm -hmm. we mm -hmm. we evolved. <laughs> Four weeks ago. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Great. Oh my gosh. Oh Lord, if they only knew God, you knew what you have brought me through. Mm, thank you, you, Father. Thank, thank you, Father, thank for you. saving me from me. Yes, Father, yes. Thank you. Thank you. For the moment, because we all know we were on that stage. Okay. Oh it it would have creeped it would have creeped up. It it would have been like uh what's that? The Hulk? The Incredible Hulk. Yeah, Talk we all know. Triggers. Okay. Triggers. Oh my. Okay. Goodness. Lord have mercy. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Come on. I, 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 I was once a sinner. <laughs> Still is. <laughs> Let me tell you something. 
Them said, Dopey know who for frighten you. You hear me tell you? But we need to do a better job. And I'm going to start with this. For anyone who is a promoter and you're putting on um, any event, could you please start clearing the sides of the stages? We don't need this one bag of confusion to the side. If the person is not a part of the act that is on stage, they don't need to be there. If the person is not a camera man, I'm going to tax money with a little cell phone. If a person is not a cameraman, they don't need, or a camera woman, they don't need to be on the stage. If they are just a part of the team, them no need to be on the stage. If them point blank, clean up the stage. It's not necessary. Okay. And sometimes you go there as media. I've gone as media and I'm supposed to have access to the stage and I can't get to the stage because there's so many people there. And then the next day they want to look at you and, to, and ask you to send me the footage. What footage? Ask the 10,000 people that were on stage. It's not necessary. Myself in the back because I'm not going up there. I'm not, what I'm going to do now is sit in the back and have a drink and enjoy necessary. the performance. It's not necessary to have that many people. And it's not safe. It is, it is not, not safe, safe either. Especially the perfect example of why it's not safe. Right. Especially and for not safe for various reasons, right? Number one, too many people can cause a stage to collapse. Okay. Number two, case in point. What you call it when you're in court and you, you turn to the judge and you show them um what's, what's the phrase they use? Oh gosh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm. Wait, I was just watching Law and Order. Hold on. <laughs> oh Lord, but he yeah. just handed the judge the bag. He just handed the judge the bag, and he said it. Oh my gosh, I can't remember. Yeah, I'm blank right now. But folks, clean up, and men, stop it. Stop it. Me begono, stop it. What if that, if someone did that to your mother, your sister, your pitney, your child? You'd be so enraged. You don't need to do that to anybody. Emotional intelligence. Please, if you don't have any, go learn some. But... I, I'm also glad that, um, Javette, you sent this over to me because it was being rumored that it was Valiant who did it. So I'm glad that that's not the case. What? Yep, it was being rumored that he was the one who did it. So I'm glad that this has been cleared up. Yeah, that, that, that wouldn't be Valiant, right? Yeah, that yeah, that definitely be my limit. All right. So next, oh, it's time for us to take a quick break. When we get back, we have stories out of Latin America. Okay, folks, here's a little more from Angie Stone for us. Easier said than done. It is hashtag WCW. We celebrate women today, and we do so through music. Now, are you? Are you now? 
Thank you to everyone listening online, the Quality Music Zone, QMZRadio.com. For that good music to get you through your day, keep it logged on to www.QMZRadio.com for that good music to get you through your day. Keep it locked. Here's a little Tina Turner for us. Oh! 
Who remembers when Tina Turner's legs were insured for $3.2 million? Yes, she was once coined as having the sexiest legs ever. And she did have a contract with Legs, the poisery company. Thank you to everyone listening on JanoRadio.com. Download the Jano Radio app, J-A-H-K-N-O. It is available in your Apple and Google Play stores. Jano Radio, take us on the go. If you did not know this song that you're listening to, A Rose is Still a Rose by Aretha Franklin, was written and produced by Lauren Hill. my clubhouse family thank you for being here with me thank you for coming to coffee and Toe world news on the go the interview last night on the Rosolo show with um Shinehead you can catch the replay on janoradio.com and if you're on Clubhouse you can catch the replay in the Rosolo show house that's that right Rosolo show yeah too many S's Rosolo show house <laughs> Shinehead it was an amazing interview that was part one part two is to come.
Thank you for the reminder, Aretha Franklin. No matter, no matter what you have gone through, you are still a rose. You are still beautiful. Love yourself. And it is time for us to get back to business. Stories out of Latin America. Let me ask a question, ladies. Am I the only one? Sometimes you're putting your jeans on and you have to lie flat on the bed so you can pull the zipper up. Please don't. I need company. Don't 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 make me feel like I'm the only one who has to do. <laughs> Virginia is cracking up. <laughs> Listen, that's how it is sometimes. It's not me. I do have a flat stomach. It's just that the L is silent in the word. But um, yeah, I have to be doing that, you know. And then after you wear. After a couple minutes or so, you're just fine. But just to get it on, you got to lie down and pull that zipper up and, you know. You know, it took me a minute to figure out what you said. The L is silent. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Yeah. Especially, yes, Sula, when you dry them jeans and put them jeans in the dryer. Oh, child, you know, it takes a minute. You got to wiggle it out, wiggle it out. But yeah, anyway, um, I, I would sometimes bother my husband to, you know, he's like, lie down. <laughs> At least he's, he's with me with the BS. <laughs> or sometimes he'll see me struggling. If I'm standing up, struggling to pull the zipper up. And he's like, go on, go lie down. Mama, pull it to feel. <laughs> oh, gosh. Lord. Gotta laugh at ourselves, right? That, that, that <laughs> Teflon with his eyes. Teflon, one day, one day you have a woman that will ask you to do that for her. Or you're just going to get up and say, come, babe, I'll do that. I got you. <laughs> gotta embrace the flaws and all, right? And, you know, laugh, laugh at yourself. Don't be afraid to laugh at yourself. All right. Uh, U.S. launches first deportation flight to Cuba since COVID-19. Story courtesy of Al Jazeera. The United States has sent its first deportation flight to Cuba since 2020, months after the island nation agreed for the first time since the COVID-19 pandemic to accept flights carrying Cubans caught at the U.S.-Mexico border. On April 24. U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement resumed normal removals, processing for Cuban nationals who have received final orders of removal. That's according to a spokesperson in an email, uh, and this spokesperson represents the Department of Homeland Security. The Cuban government confirmed the flight's arrival, saying on Twitter, it included 40 Cubans intercepted in boats and 83 detained at the U.S.-Mexico border. The Reuters news agency first reported late last year that Cuba agreed to give give U.S. authorities 
a new but limited tool to deter record numbers of Cuban border crosses. After U.S. President Joe Biden adopted more restrictive border security measures in January, the number of Cubans and other asylum seekers and migrants caught at the border plummeted. However, the Biden administration is preparing for a possible rise in crossings with COVID restrictions at the U.S.-Mexico border set to lift on May 11. The administration says um, it is it will be more prepared and will disclose uh, their preparation tactics this week. Okay. Um, hmm. We say we have a shortage of workers in this country, right? We need more workers because isn't that what was said just this week? And it's not the first time it's being said. We need more labor. We need more hands on deck. And um, it is very obvious because we've had stories. We've talked about stories where children are working in factories, um, meat packing plants, for example. They're working in tobacco fields, for example. We have many people who want to come here to work because people here are not everybody, I don't need to come under gunfire for this or under attack, but you do have some people here who refuse to do the work. So if they don't want to do the work and you have people at the border who want to come and work, how is it then we're having a labor shortage? How? You're picking and choosing. And quite frankly, the people you're hoping will step up and do the job don't want to do it. They don't want to do it. And if we are thinking, we will realize that we can gain from it, actually, in the form of taxes. So interesting that I would say taxes. Saw this video on um saw this video on TikTok <laughs> talking about how taxes are supposed to work, right? So you pay your taxes to the government. The government in return is supposed to use all the tax money that's collected to cover health care, education, retirement, you know, things that matter. But let's talk about health care. What has happened? So you pay your money to the government. The government creates a middleman, the healthcare system, the privatized healthcare system, which includes the, you know, the network plus the insurance companies, right? So they allow this middle person, they, instead of giving it back to you directly, right? They give the money to the middleman and then the middleman tells you, oh, it's not enough. You still got to give us some more. So where does the sum more come from after you've paid your taxes? It comes from us, the taxpayers. Am I making sense? Did I sum it up reasonably? Yep. You see how we're being taken advantage of? So we pay taxes for you to look after us, but then you're telling us, oh, sorry, can't look after you. We can help you out to a degree. And then these people that we put in the middle, the healthcare network, which includes hospitals, medical facilities, um, and insurance companies, they're busy making money. They're making money off of 
the government via our tax dollars and making money off of us. And then, even though you are paying them, plus they're getting money from the government, they are telling your doctor, For let's go to the insurance companies, the doctor is consulting with the insurance company and the insurance company is telling the doctor what you should be getting. Oh no, they don't need surgery. Oh no, they don't need that procedure. Oh no, they don't need that medication. Insurance company is telling your healthcare provider who has all the training, who is familiar with your medical history, not, no, mm -mm, mm -mm. not going to approve that. Because they want to hold on to the money. The money from our tax dollars sent directly to the government and the money that is deducted from your check as health benefits, health insurance. We are so messed up. And then they're the ones deciding what medicine you should use. Mm -hmm. So do they we need doctors? For something, they won't approve you for something that helps. They'll approve you for something that you have to take for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So why do we need doctors then? If the insurance company is going to say, make them the doctors then. Simple. You want to get into health insurance? You have to have a medical degree and you have to um, have completed your residency because you're the ones we're going to put in the insurance companies. But they know damn well they're not going to do that. It's all a scam. Sorry, I have no other way to put it. We're being scammed left, right and center. Left Right. So yeah, definitely, because they're never going to look for what's best for you. They're going to look at what's cost effective for them. So, yeah, it is a scam. <laughs> and I'm yet to understand how it is that in other in some countries. healthcare Is free, but in this developed world. It's not. I don't get it. There's a video that I want to play. I believe I had posted it on. Um, I want to believe I posted it on. One of my social media handles. Let me see something here. Stop. But I have it here. Germany. Okay, so let me pause this one second. Germany population, 81 million people. Oops, where is it? Here we go. Germany. With no student loans to pay off, imagine then going into the real world and getting a job where you only worked 36 hours a week but got paid for 40. A place where you can still find a thriving middle class, even amongst people who make pencils. We are producing pencils. pencils. It's, it's still a good business, so we started in still. 70, still Even yes. with computers and everything? They are still buying pencils, and by the way, last year was the best year in producing pencils in Germany ever. Where are the pencil factories? The pencil factories, this is here. 
around. Right behind us? Yeah, yeah, there's factories. No, 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 these aren't, these aren't factories, they have windows. What do you mean, the windows? Factories don't have windows. No, of course we have windows. They, they, they must have good light. What do they need sunlight for? They're just making pencils. Yeah, yeah but, but good pencils and also to feel well, not to get sick. Because if you have workers who are ill, then you have problems. We don't want that. I opened a door and found something that was missing in America, the middle class. What's everybody doing in here? You're on a break? You only work 36 hours a week as it is. <laughs> How many of you have a second or third job? <laughs> You're laughing like that's a funny idea. Nein, aber für uns ist es eigentlich nicht üblich. Also, wenn man eine gute Arbeit hat, dann hat man auch das Leben und muss keinen zweiten oder dritten Job machen. So what he just said there is that none of them. Um, he said no, it's not like that in Germany, right? Um, he also said. We have good jobs and can live a good life. We have no problems making ends meet. Also, wenn man eine gute Arbeit hat, dann hat man auch das Leben und muss keinen zweiten oder dritten Job machen. You leave here at 2 p.m., you're home at 2.30. What do you do with all this free time? Ich würde mit meinen Hunden Gasse gehen und... Go walk my dogs, then get coffee with my girlfriend. Nothing. Also. <laughs> Rest. Cultivate friendships. Enjoy life. The sun is shining. Sit in a cafe. Watch people going about their lives. In Germany, work is work. And when work is over, work is done. In fact, they're so concerned that the workplace has created so much stress that under the German universal healthcare system, any stressed out German can get their doctor to write a prescription for a free three week stay at a spa. You don't have to cook, you don't have to wash. I need time for me, I need uh, more time for my children. We have a massage, gymnastics, and we go to, um, to the pool and we eat healthy. It's very yummy. I don't understand why the government does this. Because it's cheaper. In the long run, it's cheaper. Definitely, to prevent um, worse sickness. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it, it makes sense to pay before. And what about your kids also? Yeah, well, some kids get massaged. The kids get massaged? Yeah. 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 <laughs> we are in paradise here. <laughs> if everybody takes a little bit care of the neighbor, life is more easy for everyone. It's just common sense. One of the reasons that German workers have all this free time and other benefits is because they have power, real power. 
it's a law that companies have to have a supervisory board which consists 50% representatives from the workers side that's right not a token worker on the board half of these boards are workers and one of the good things about having workers with power on the board is that when the company breaks the law... End of the road. Volkswagen, the world's largest automaker, was busted for cheating its way around the law. The workers make sure the company is prosecuted. That's why companies listen to the workers. We ask our employees, what can we do better? Why? You're in charge, you're management. Just tell them what to do. They observe what we are doing and they make proposals, what we can do better. Do you ever adopt any of the workers' proposals? Yes, of course. We do it regularly, of course. Why, just to keep them happy or...? No, no, they have good ideas and they are... Well, they have good ideas. They have good ideas. They know... You don't really mean that. No, of course. It's true. You're just saying that because the camera's on. You... No, no, no. They are so important and so intelligent. Believe me, it's, it's the key to success. We know that the more you give people a say, the more they help the company to win. The latest area that German workers have advocated for is how they're to be treated during their free time when they're not at work. It is against the law in Germany to contact an employee while he or she is on vacation. And now many companies in Germany have adopted the rule that the company cannot send an email to employees after work. At Mercedes, the company's computers will block any boss who tries to bother an employee at home. Employees have the right not to answer emails, and bosses are not supposed to intervene on the weekends or in the vacation or after normal working hours a day into the private spheres of employees. Imagine that. Let me jump on TikTok and grab the link while y'all talk about this. You're moving to Germany. Yes, we are. You, you see how bar you see how barbaric the American uh, people are. You see where look look how when the interviewer is talking to the guy and he's like, "Why do you do, like?" As if like they, it's like they just treat people like. Like um, I don't know, like like tools, like yeah, tools, it's like you're tools. not seen as a person, you're seen as a tool, and it's like that's just crazy. Like they're so inhumane. It's like because like, and 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 if you really check it, yeah, like look, Mercedes is one of the biggest car companies in the world. If they're treating like if they're treating their workers like that, yeah. There's obviously, it can't be to the detriment of the company because Mercedes is one of the biggest car companies ever going. So it's like they're looking at it as if it's something so strange. Like, why would you treat your workers so good? Like, why would you, why would you care about your, your, you know, your workers and stuff like that? How barbaric are these people, man? No, so what it is, yeah, because they're programmed, in it? I mean, that's what they're used to. So they find it, they find it really strange that they're doing that. That's all it is. Um, Next wow. up. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm trying to pin the link at the top, but it keeps playing the thing. So I'll do it afterwards. I'll get it for everyone afterwards. My apologies. I'm so sorry. 
yeah, these employees are always contacting us on our days off. And it this adds more stress, like when you're trying to get some, you know, trying to get a break from work. Yeah, this is dope, man. I'm definitely moving to Germany. So why can't other countries do the same? Yesterday we spoke about, was it Finland? Yeah, that's it, yeah. Okay. And I'm sure if you move through the Scandinavian countries, you'll find vast similarities, right? They actually care about their citizens. Imagine a company in the U.S. where they actually listen to the bottom line. Imagine a company in the U.S. where the bottom line is allowed to hold you, the company, responsible if there is any infraction. Imagine a company in the U.S. where you are blocked as a boss from trying to contact your employee on the weekend or after work hours. Imagine that. Huh? Can you imagine getting an... E Listen to this, folks. I don't know if it has ever happened to any of you who have worked in corporate America or in a country where they have no respect for employees. But... If you ever get an email sent to you over the weekend or after work hours and you don't open that email or address it by responding or whatever, will be on to you when you go to work the next day. It is held against you. You are looked at as not being a team player. You are looked at as not caring about the bottom line, the company's bottom line and their end result. You are even written up for it. Yes. Capitalism, they say. Capitalism, they say. I, I, only, I only care about my company and whatever they're trying to achieve during the time that they're paying me for. Uh, you know, after the time, you know, that they're not paying me for, they have no right over that time or what I do or how I spend that, whether I, you know, even give them one second for or not. Like, once I'm not on paid time, that's it. I'm not interested. Simple. Hmm. Oh, they will use that to hold you back over here, um, Circles. Trust me. Uh, Newville, you said you had a question. Good morning. Go right ahead. Yeah, man. Um, good morning, everybody. Yeah, so not really much of a question, but a slight, a slight gentle pushback. When you're building a business, and I know you said corporate America, so we're talking about like four or 500 companies and yada, yada, yada. Everything is also respected of the rule. See? I do believe that you have to set expectations in terms of work-life balance. See, the session manager knows, you know, like, all right, cool to be unavailable obviously between this time and this time and whatever you can send me as many emails and text messages as you want i'll respond back to that when i get to the office that's your option you can say that or again it depends on the nature of the business if you're building something from scratch anybody that starts a business knows this there are no days off it's basically whenever you're up you're always thinking about the baby. You know what I'm saying? But I do I do understand, you know, um the hypocrisy where like say ultimately they wanna kinda of turn people into like, you know, 
official slaves. Like whenever we call you or whenever we email you about a specific problem that has to do with the business, and the business is bigger than me and you as the manager. Because if me and you as a manager have to walk out those doors together and we're both fired or quit or laid off or whatever, this is still continuous, right? But some people are in it for the game. That's why I had to get to the corporate line because they basically want you to work for just enough for you not to quit. But in order for you to get ahead, they want you to do a lot of extra shit for free. You know what my response to that was? Fuck you very uh, much. I'm on air, Nouvelle. I am oh, on sorry. air. Oh, sorry. I forgot. My apologies. <clears throat> Nouvelle, how you forget that? We've been doing this for months now. Um, it's just because I'm very comfortable whenever moment speaks, so I get into that almost. So I do apologize for that. But at least the point was was made right so ultimately yeah i do understand the frustration that people do have um and again you know sometimes the universe is pushing towards you where you need to go maybe you're not in the right job for you or the right company so that would fit because without us there's no them remember that mm-hmm mm-hmm and you have made a valid point um Newville. without us there's no them and i think a lot of um companies directors the stakeholders that have invested in these companies they have forgotten that and the problem in i can speak for the us i can't speak for many other countries but based on what i have experienced and what others have experienced they are only focused on the dollar and what is disturbing is that you can't get to these executives or directors on their vacation you can't. Oh, absolutely not. Oh, absolutely not. No. No, you can't call the CFO when he's on his yacht. The audacity. Exactly. Oh, oh, boy. So one day we hope we will have... <laughs> one day. One day. I don't know when that will be, but one day. All right. Thank you so much, Newville. Moving on. We're heading on to the... Um, America, the news out of North America. Newville, your mic, your mic. Sorry. Thank you. Uh, I'm sorry, international news. Sorry, my apologies. Okay, so next up, British American Tobacco to pay $635.2 million in North Korean sanctions. The case represents the single largest North Korea sanctions penalty in the U.S. Department of Justice history. Story courtesy of Al Jazeera. British American Tobacco PLC has agreed to pay more than $635 million to U.S. authorities after a subsidiary pleaded guilty to charges that it conspired to violate American sanctions by selling tobacco products to North Korea and commit bank fraud. That's according to a U.S. court filing. The tobacco sales to the isolated communist nation at the heart of Tuesday's settlement took place from 2007 to 2017, according to both the company and the Department of Justice. North Korea faces an array of United States sanctions to choke off funding for its nuclear and ballistic missile program. 
this case and others like it do serve as a warning shot to companies. The case presents or represents the single largest North Korea sanctions penalty in Department of Justice history. BAT, the world's second biggest tobacco group, makes Lucky Strike and Dunhill cigarettes. Its annual report for 2019 said the group had operations in a number of nations that are subject to various sanctions, including Iran and Cuba, and that operations in these countries exposed the company to the risk of significant financial loss. In a statement, British American Tobacco said it has entered into a deferred prosecution agreement with the Department of Justice, while one of its indirect subsidiaries in Singapore, BAT Marketing Singapore, pleaded guilty. It also separately entered a civil settlement with the U.S. Treasury's Office of Foreign Assess Control. The $635.2 million payment to U.S. authorities is the total to cover the three cases, the company said. Next up, India to pass China this week as world's most populous nation. Story courtesy of Al Jazeera. India will be the world's most populous country by the end of this month, hitting almost 1.43 billion people and eclipsing an aging China, says the United Nations. By the end of this month, India's population is expected to reach 1,425,775,000 people, matching and then surpassing the population of mainland China. Uh, Last week, the UN's annual State of World Population Report said the milestone would come by mid-year 2023 when it will have 2.9 million people more than China. The Indian government, which has not done a census since 2011, and delayed the 2021 due to the pandemic, has not officially commented on the UN estimates. And interesting enough, I came across this video, I I, I think I saved it, um, where, yes, I did save it. So it's on TikTok, you know, that's where I get a lot of my videos now. Why Indian immigrants become rich, um, Hold on, let me go back. Rewind, rewind. Why immigrant? Why Indian immigrants become rich and raise successful kids? And let's hit play on this one. Every other ethnic group in America. Not- well, I actually saw this YouTube video yesterday, and it's a great video if you haven't seen it. And it came up on my TikTok again. And I also saw this other guy speaking about a similar thing. And I wanted to give my two cents. So this is a chart showing household income by ethnic group. Indian Americans leading the pack around 20% higher than the next ethnic group and around a whopping 66% higher than the average white American family. And obviously, there are a lot of factors and variables that have contributed towards this. It's something that has intrigued me for a while through my experiences in corporate America and society. And these are the reasons why I think this has played out the way it has. These are some of the reasons I think have contributed to Indian American success. Let me pause it right here and I'll read the list for you. One, there is a focus on education, certain careers. Two, family or multi-generational household. Three, minimal financial or social discrimination. Four, marriage within same ethnic group. And five, playing game of life slash hustle and he is going to break it down for us 
and let me break down each of them. So from a very young age, education is highly stressed amongst Indian families. Getting good grades, taking AP courses, programs like Kumon are just part of the upbringing for an Indian American child. And as you get older, your parents stress certain career paths like engineering, medical, finance, business, etc. So from a young age, you're being primed to do well in school and think about careers that are financially rewarding. Two, a tight-knit family and having a multi-generational household. I grew up with my grandparents my whole life. They aided in household duties. They shared tasks with my parents, and that took some of the burden off my parents so they can go and work and bring home the money. It enables both parents to work while still having caretakers for the children. That might change moving forward, but that really helped build a solid foundation for first-generation Indian Americans. Living with grandparents or other extended family was basically free childcare that really costs a lot of money for people that have to pay for it. Third, there was minimal social and financial discrimination against Indians. I know some people might say we were discriminated post 9-11, we were made fun of, had derogatory remarks said about us, but it hasn't been in the way that other ethnic groups have faced. We did not experience redlining where we couldn't live in certain neighborhoods. We did not have restrictions on access to credit and financing. We have been pretty insulated from access to credit, access to finance, and that has helped us have economic mobility in society. Number four, we tend to marry within the same ethnic group, which enables shared values between both sides of the family. You share similar values, beliefs, mindsets between both sets of parents, which enables a very holistic upbringing for a child. If both sets of parents and both sets of grandparents are stressing the same values, you're creating a very well-rounded and directionally curated life for the child. And number five, this is one of my favorites, playing the game of life and hustle. People that came from India and even other ethnic groups that came from places of economic hardship have a mentality that is unlike anyone else's. When Indians came to this country and even other ethnic groups that came from economic hardship, they have a hustle mentality that is unrivaled. They came from a world where hustling and working hard was the key to success. And I call this the game, the game of life. When they came from India, the game was very difficult. They were competing against billions of people. When they come to the US, the country had already reached middle-class status. There's a sense of entitlement that people in society may have. So when you bring some hardworking people into a country that is not as hardworking, it is very easy to win in that game. I'm not saying Americans are lazy, but I can confidently say the average Indian or immigrant is probably harder working than the average American. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, so many, so many thoughts. I'll wait until it's appropriate for me to speak. Who wants to go first? Anybody wants to go ahead of Newville? Hi, everyone. Good morning. Good um, morning, Sin. I would say I do work with um, a lot of Indians in my job. My job actually sponsors, you know, a lot of people to come from India. And what I've learned, and I was not aware of this, most of them are um, their culture or their religion does not allow them to take on debt. So... They cannot get any, if they're Hindu, I believe, they cannot take a mortgage out. Um, they cannot take a car loan. They can't take out any type of loan. They're, um, they actually get together and pull money, like their religion will pull the money and they can get a low interest loan from India. Um, but that I'm aware of Hindu people, like the people that I work with, they have their, um, if they have a home, it's paid off cash. If they have a car, it's paid off cash or they're saving up to buy a home and pay it off cash. They cannot, um, own any debt unless I guess they go through, um, that like low interest loan, I, I believe. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you, Sin. Anybody else? Uh, Marisha, good morning. You want to go ahead? 
Hi, I'm going to say assalamu alaikum, even if no one else is Muslim. But, um, oh my goodness, I am so versed a little bit with Indian people and Islam and Buddhism and Christianity and in all aspects. So I don't think that you can put them in a box, particularly like the way she was saying that they don't have a mortgage and stuff. I do know someone that live in very expensive houses that cost millions of dollars or something and a bunch of them live in there almost like the concept that they say Hispanic people do all piling together so all cultures do similar things and stick together I think that what the guy was saying was very interesting but what we must do as melanated people is pull our funds together because some cultures even for me when I wear my scarf the wrong way, and if it looks like a turban, some of the Indian people I come across that day treat me very horribly. But then some of them treat me kind, and depending on, you know, whatever race they are, because some of them go through interracial relationships too, with regards to marriage, where they try to, and um, regardless of who they are, they still can get checked, like C-H- E-C-K-E-D if they're out of pocket with somebody that's not from their culture and not from where they're from. Just like they feel they can do it to someone. I don't know if you go visit India. I have no idea. But as a Hatha Yoga teacher who studied from with a practice that's from uh, what Calcutta, India, and I know a lot of Indian people from Mumbai, from all over in Africa. So it's just my opinion. Everybody is just a, everybody's themselves. So I'm gonna leave it there. All right. Thank you, thank Marisha. you, thank you, Marisha. Go ahead, Sin. Sorry, I just opened my mic. Nothing oh, to say. okay. So Newville, hold on one quick second. Let me just um give you a rundown, folks. Median household income in the United States by ethnic group, and this is courtesy of the U.S. Census Bureau dating 2013 to 2015. Indian Americans, 100,500. Filipino Americans, 83,300. Taiwanese, and everything is, you know, American at the end. So I'm just going to say Taiwanese, 82,500. Sri Lankan, 74,600. Japanese, 72,300. Malaysian, 70,300. Chinese, 69,100. Pakistani, 66,200. White, 59,900. Korean, 59,000. Indonesian, 57,000. I don't know what the average American means, but the average American, 56,200. Thai, 55,000, Bangladeshi, 50,000, Nepali, 43,500, Hispanic Latinos, 43,000, and coming in at the bottom, African Americans, 35,000. <laughs> now, I have an issue with these numbers. <laughs> I, I can't understand why African Americans would be at the bottom of the list. What is it that they're doing or not doing that has them positioned at the bottom? 
Now, if we go back to the video and what he said, right, when he broke it down, focus on education and certain careers. Is that happening for the most part in the African-American communities? Nope. Okay. Family or multi-generational household. Is that happening in the African-American household? Nope. Minimal financial or social discrimination. We know that's a big hell to the no because we know that the, the, the black community is heavily discriminated against and there's redlining that suppresses them and all the different things that are stacked against them. Marriage within the same ethnic group. No. Playing the game of life or hustle in a good way. Not trying to pull a fast one on somebody else, not robbing anybody or anything like that. Can we say we hustle together as a community? Nope. Okay, go right ahead, Newville. You got two minutes and then I got to keep it moving. All right, cool. Wow, so much to unpack. So much to unpack. Like I'm listening to homeboy in the video and he made some good points. But he also... You know, neglected to mention, you know, some of the, the detriments in terms of the Asians. I want to say the Asians, I mean India and China, because it's Asia. See? Yo, I really want to know, um, and it's a quick Google search away, right? But you know how many babies are being aborted in India? because they're not male childs or male babies next thing honor killings that is a real thing next thing i live in canada and in canada in terms of outside of india canada globally seventh is ranked in terms of having the most indian people seen the brits have a little bit more by about eight to nine hundred thousand anyways let me not digress yeah, there are certain things that they're doing well, but there's a lot of things that they're getting wrong. See? Now, at the end of the day, still, like, it really comes down to us, right? What are we going to do for ourselves? We can see the formula was working. Like, I mean, your Biggie said it from a long time. You always had a, you know, you sell crack rock or you got a wicked jump shot. No, that's the wrong message for our youth. That's the wrong message for us. So my dude, you see all this divide that we have amongst us as melanated people, as black people, light skin, dark skin, old, young, black, whatever. Mm -mm. See? We, we, there's a lot of things that are lacking within our community. And we look at other communities that are doing well and being successful, and we say, okay, well, you know, why is it happening to them and not to us? And there's a lot of mitigating factors. And from a Canadian perspective, I can tell you this right now, racism is real. It is. And, you know, with all the things that the dude said in the video, let me tell you something right now. Living here, that a lot of Indian people stay within their own little clique. You see my dude? Like, they link up together and do a thing and blah, whatever. And yeah, all right, cool. Also, another thing as well, we have to be very, very mindful in terms of um, other cultures, right? If you take a look at any random video of India, 
with a street where you have the rickshaw drivers and you have everybody walking the street it looks like chaos seen and the one thing i know about the indians them still god bless them they never want to pay never want to pay full price they always want a discount but when you go to the porsche dealership right seen are you going to ask for a discount mm, you could but if you do, the dude might tell you that you might be more comfortable in a Toyota. Please leave the office. See? So there's certain little things that you have to kind of watch smartly because you don't. Like when somebody moves from one country to another, see? There's a certain amount of assimilation that's necessary. And assimilation is not just about like, um, you know what's in it for you, but what's in it for the country that brought you over to help you to be who you are, right? So, I mean, are, are there a lot of Indian or Asians in America and in Canada that don't even, you know, speak the language at a bare minimum or to respect at a bare minimum, right? Of course they are. So we have to be very mindful of these things to try to, you know, you know put these people up to like a higher standard than we in terms of the hustle i don't know anybody that hustle more than jamaican people directly i'm gonna tell you that straight off but the are bat. we hustling together no we're not okay and that's, the and problem. That's, that's the problem as black people we're not even we're, we, we can't even agree moments if 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 randomly if i took a hundred black people seen in america in any state to go to Baskin Robbins, see everybody going to get a free two scoop of ice cream. All we have to do is decide on one flavor. See, I can guarantee you that's going to be a failed social experiment. People can't even agree on what flavor of ice cream within our spectrum. So how can we bleed each other? See, and this is the this is the deeper conversation right so it's not as if it's rocket science other cultures are doing it the greeks are doing it towns are doing it the, the, the irish the scottish whatever all right you know gotta ask you to wrap up for me newville because i gotta move on i wasn't paying attention to the time go ahead wrap oh, up for sorry. me please yeah no no that's it for me go through all sorry right. about that thank you thank you so much newville appreciate your contribution uh to the chat real quick other communities practice the each one teach one saying to the core, the black community, not so much. We have work to do because there is no way being born in the United States of America should an, uh, should a, uh, I, I can't even talk now, should a black American be making or the average income for a black American household be $35,000. That is grossly unacceptable. And whilst we are aware of the constraints, of the obstacles, what we should be recognizing is that we have been pulling in different directions for far too long. It is time we come together, work together, stop gatekeeping information. That's a huge problem within our community. We gatekeep everything because we don't want the other person to do as good as us or do better than us. We don't understand, quote unquote, group economics. And until we learn these things, 
we are going to be stuck and everybody is capitalizing off of our refusal to come together. Let us wake the heck up and make the necessary shifts. And I've said this time and time again, you see it on social media. We ourselves who are burgeoning entrepreneurs trying to, you know, get ahead. I spoke about a clip from a particular reality show that is no longer in VH1, where these are celebrities, the children of these said celebrities are helping each other out. One of them has a fashion line. The, the, she asks her other friends, right? Can you, you know, do the photo shoot for me? Of course, there's no cost involved because she's, she's just starting out. And what do the parents of the other celebrity ones, and these are black folks, people tell them, oh, no, it's not like they're Gucci or Versace or Louis or anything like that. Don't do it. Wow. Don't do it. Wow. And this is what we do to each other. We do not support each other until some celebrity bigs up our brand. For example, you know those handbags? Is it Teflor or Telfar or whatever they're called? I remember when that guy started out. And you know when his bags really took off? When Beyonce bagged one of them bags, copped one of them bags, however you want to call it. That is what we do. And the other thing we do is we talk each other down to the ground. We seek the services of each other, but we don't want to pay for the services. We want to run out on each other. How the hell are we going to get ahead if that's how we're treating each other? But yet you will walk into the beauty supply store that's owned by the Arab or the Asian, and you know damn well you can't try that mess. Talk to them. Talk to them moments. So when we talk about group economics, we have to understand what it truly means. We sit here and we complain that, oh, we're being oppressed and we're suppressed and we're this and we're that. Damn it, we're doing it to each other. And they know this. But moments, I can ask you a question. Yeah, go, re go, yes, go right ahead. Yo, because Marcus tried to bring a little bit of unity. Seen? And he, and when I mean he tried, he tried. Seen? He tried. The man say, yo, let's go down to the state of Georgia and just take over that. Seeing that would be like the black state in America. Yo, the sunshine is good. Seeing the soil is fertile. It can grow things. Let's just build, yo, black police force. Black, yo, all of that shit. Seeing? Oh, excuse me. Sorry. Sorry about that. All of that stuff. And then, no forward. Before his time, I get it. Now we're in 2023 and we're still having the same conversation. It's very, it's, it's demoralizing, to be honest with you. It is. Very demoralizing. It is. We need to fix our issues. So I, I'm glad I had the opportunity to play that video for us to look within ourselves. Look within ourselves and see what we can do differently. Go right ahead. I can take one more and then I got to keep it moving. Go ahead. John. Yeah, no, it's good morning. Good morning. Good I said morning. before, black people coming together is a utopian concept that we have to let out. We have to get rid of that. There, there would be no global unification of black people like that. What you have to do 
is to look to your brother, look to your neighbor, look to your sister, look to the people you interact with and find synergies with them. Find ways to cooperate at that granular level. Find ways to help each other at that granular level. And as such, you will get a bigger movement. But too often we refer to black people not uniting in an abstract manner, as though we are not black. If everybody that says black people don't unite, look at themselves and ask, how can I unite with the people around me? How can I make a difference to push on what I want to see happen on a global scale? We will change overnight. But too often, because we look at ourselves in the third person, mm -hmm. as this so-called black people label, and not look within ourselves and look within our confines to find solutions, that's why the conversation keeps going on. Because mm -hmm. once you start doing it at a granular level, it will happen. But like we're looking for some leader or somebody to come to pull us together. And even when that happens, all they have to do is kill the leader and that's it. Hmm. That's it. Hold on, Nouvelle. Hold on a second, please. Go, okay, go ahead, yeah. Donald. I'm finished. I finish. I finish. Okay. All right. I have to keep moving. Thank you all so much. Thank you, Nouvelle. Thank you, Donald. Uh, Iran. Well, before I even get to that one, the Taliban kill mastermind of suicide bombing at Kabul airport. Story courtesy of the Associated Press. The ground assault by the Taliban killed the Islamic State militant who spearheaded the August 2021 suicide bombing at the Kabul airport that left 13 U.S. troops and about 170 Afghans dead during the chaotic U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, U.S. officials said on Tuesday. Initially, neither the U.S. nor apparently the Taliban were aware that the mastermind was dead. He was killed during a series of battles early this month in southern Afghanistan between the Taliban and the Islamic State group's affiliate, according to several officials. Iran charges two actresses for not wearing a hijab. Businesses also shut down after offering services to women not wearing headscarves deemed appropriate by government as crackdown continues. Story courtesy of Al Jazeera. Two renowned actresses in Iran have been charged for not wearing headscarves as authorities intensify efforts to crack down on people violating the country's mandatory hijab laws. Iranian state media reported on Tuesday that Tehran police have referred Katayun Riahi and Pantia Bahram to the judiciary, accused of the crime of removing their hijab in public and publishing its images in the virtual space. The well-known actresses could potentially face fines or prison terms if prosecuted. Last week, photos of 53-year-old Bahram posing without a headscarf at a film screening went viral. Next up, British aristocrats are asking King Charles to join a slavery reparations movement. And we do have a soundbite for that one, courtesy of NPR. Subaru and the 2023 Subaru Forester, featuring standard symmetrical all-wheel drive and award-winning safety technology. The SUV for all you love. Learn more at Subaru.com.
What if you found out that your ancestors enslaved hundreds of people, even a thousand people, and that's the source of your family's wealth and status today? That's the experience of our next two guests. But unlike some who have chosen to deny or ignore such knowledge, they have decided to embrace it. Laura Trevelyan is a former longtime broadcaster with the BBC. David Lassels is a second cousin of King Charles. They are two of the people who have started a group called Heirs of Slavery. It's comprised of people whose ancestors supported and profited from the transatlantic slave trade. They joined us to talk about their family histories and their effort to make amends. It seems pretty extraordinary, doesn't it, that my ancestors enslaved Africans on the Caribbean island of Grenada. And when slavery was abolished by Britain's parliament in 1833, in 1834, it wasn't the enslaved who received compensation. It was the slave owners who were paid because that was the only way that abolition could get through Britain's parliament. So what was already a horrific situation was then made uh, even more unfair. And I discovered this soon after University College London published the database of the compensation that was paid to Britain's slave owners. David, same for you. Did you hear about this through this database? No, we've known about this history for a little while. Um, We unearthed in the basements here of Herbert House some boxes of archives detailing the Lassels family's business in the West Indies at that time. Obviously, the broad strokes were known. Um, I know how I received it, which was that clearly something on on the back of it, something had to be done. And the first thing that had to be done was that that research, those papers, um, needed to be shared. As I recall, your family got about, what, 26,000 pounds in 1835. What would that be today? Uh, Upwards of two million pounds, something like that. Hmm. So, Laura, by the time you learned of this, I think that was in 2016, you had already written a book about your family, but this chapter was not in it. And I'm just wondering why you think that is, that why this was not history that you'd been acquainted with, didn't even really know that this was part of your family's story. Why do you think that is? Yeah, and I was embarrassed by that in 2016, especially someone, you know, who purported to be a family historian and had written a book. But clearly in Britain, you know, there's a habit of just sweeping the whole history of Britain's role in slavery under the rug. And quite clearly that's what had happened with my family. Laura, you've worked in both the UK and the US. How did the idea of reparations come to you? Well, it came because I went to Grenada to make a BBC documentary and I met the chair and the vice chair of Grenada's National Reparations Committee, respectively Arlie Gill and Nicole Philip Dow. And I talked to them about this horrible history of my ancestors from the sugar trade. So I just posed the question, you know, what do you think I should do? What do you think the responsibility of our family is? And they both replied in the same way, which is that, you know, on our side of the ledger is a legacy of wealth extraction, poverty, and on your side of the ledger is wealth and privilege. And so in discussing the issue with the wider family, people felt that an apology was important and necessary and would set an example and would be part of the healing. And education would be an important thing to fund. So I'm giving £100,000 to bursaries for university students in Grenada and also money to help rural school children with the cost of getting to school and with school supplies in Grenada. What about the question of guilt? Do you feel guilty? No, I don't personally feel guilty because it wasn't me, but I do feel ashamed of what my ancestors did. I'm ashamed that they were absentee slave owners 
sitting in Britain, sipping their tea, no doubt putting sugar into it, as people did then, which was what drove the whole trade in sugar and profiting from what was happening thousands of miles away. But I do think that if your position in the world today derives in some way from the profit that your ancestors made from slavery, then yes, you have a responsibility to confront that. And I think it's more about a duty to try to do the right thing. David, what about you? It's about accountability in the end, isn't it? I mean, I agree completely with what Laura's saying. I don't feel personally guilty. I mean, many people were made directly rich by it, like my family, like Laura's family, like the families of the other people involved in our group. But the whole country benefited from it. It's a national issue. You know, so I think we as individuals are accountable for trying to do something about it in their own way and also trying to get more people talking about it. David, you're a cousin to the king. Are you trying to get the Windsors involved? What, what's your sense of their understanding of this issue? I, I have no insight into that, really. I'm related. I'm, I'm certainly would never make myself out to be a, a spokesman for the royal family. Uh, I've met Charles, King Charles, on, on several occasions, but we, know, we don't have a personal relationship. So I don't have any way uh, of, of influencing what they do or what they don't do. Hmm. Why not? You are part of this group. They certainly, as a family, have benefited from slavery, as you mentioned, just like all the other people who have historical wealth. Mm -hmm. You don't feel it's your place to say what they should do as a citizen? Uh, no, I don't think I, I, I don't see myself in being in the position of telling anybody else what to do. I think you can tell people what we've done and why we've done it and how we've done it and what the outcomes of that have been. Mm -hmm. All right, fair enough. So, Laura, before we let you go, I did want to get your insights into how you think this discussion, this debate is playing out on both sides of the Atlantic. Your experience in the UK is a lot of it just isn't talked about. In the United States, there seems to be it's talked about, but often with a sense of fury. How do you understand that? So you have a, a long overdue reckoning that's happening in Britain, which is definitely accelerated by the Black Lives Matter movement and the death of George Floyd. And then here in the United States, a debate which has been going on forever, because whereas in Britain, you know, enslavement was largely, was offshore in the Caribbean, here in the US, it was here in people's homes in, uh, out there on the cotton fields. And so we hope that now, uh, you know, 190 years after the abolition of slavery, that Britain's government can begin to negotiate with Caribbean governments to try to repair the damage. We've been speaking with Laura Trevelyan and David Lassels. They are both members of a group called Heirs of Slavery. Thank you both so much for talking to us. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks, Michelle. Wow. <laughs> Uh, what are your thoughts, folks? Okay, go right ahead, Newville. Yo, that was that was such a joke scene. Because if you read between the lines, right, like they like to throw, you know, some by sort, you know, words like accountability. Oh, I was ashamed what my ancestors did. Mm, okay, so you can cut the check for a hundred thousand. That's that's a drop in the bucket for you. Okay. When you look at the UK scene. And you look at the castles that are built and the money over there, yo, they ain't going to let no matter how bad quote unquote they see that they they feel, they're not going to cash out everything that they own to try to make reparations or to try to whatever. That is never going to happen. Period. The Windsors are never going to do it. Period. You know what I'm saying? And truth be told, 
why would they? Let me be a little bit controversial right now. See, black people weren't the only people that were ever enslaved in the history of humanity. See, another thing as well that you have to also consider is that some people don't like us. Like black people. So if you're asking somebody that hates you for some to do the right thing, to basically liquefy all their assets and distribute it back to Barbados or Bermuda or whatever, that that would never happen. And these little conversations, right, to me is is a slap in the face. Listening to homegirl a talk and homeboy attack. Oh well accountability, right? Well then oh it's the whole you know it's the whole country's accountability and like oh what? exactly because you don't want to separate yourself from your money. So you know what I think personally and again big up Garvey see we don't need nothing from nobody. Uh, we need this little bit of understanding between one another and unity and to dead some of this stuff that's been going on that's been programmed into us why are we looking for a white person or an oppressor to save us why why is that seeing there's a problem there we don't need nobody and keep on asking and the conversation all it's doing is a distraction Seem it's a distraction. All right, I thank you. Oh, I thought you were oh. No, like, I mean, if the world was a fair place, then you know, all the, the, the Belgium government, all these go- that you know, what I'm saying that basically made their societies off of Africa, slavery, and all of that, they should liquefy everything and pay everything back. All the stuff in museums, all of that stuff. That will never happen. They're not going to do it. Well, um, Noville, a couple months ago, we um, did talk about some stories where some countries, they are returning artifacts to various countries across Africa. So they they are um, doing, some of them, not everybody is doing the right thing. Now, I understand when you say that we can't look to, the the descendants of our oppressors to do the right thing but what i will appreciate is that at least they are willing to have the conversation because if they're not if if um governments are not going to listen to us governments of countries that allowed the oppression to take place if they're not going to listen to us hopefully they will listen to the people that look like them and so be inclined to be open to having the conversation. So as much as we don't like the way things have to be done, sometimes we have to take the uncharted territory to accomplish the goal. We have to let go. I know Dre likes to say this, you know, we need to let go of the emotions and focus on getting the task done. So if they are the ones that the, um, the, the, the leaders of other countries are willing to listen to, whether it's Italy, um, Portugal, Spain, more, more England. Nice. I, I am. I will say to them, carry on, because we may. They may be the only ones to get through to them. They're the same people, though. Moments. They're the same people. So, so what no. then? What do we do then, Newville? Okay, so we don't want them advocating for us. What do we do then? 
you you pointed out that Marcus Garvey has been trying. It didn't work. Nobody has been listening to anybody. What do we do then? And yes, even though Trevelyn may not be separating herself from the wealth that she has acquired because of her family, at least she has made some attempt. Is it good enough? No, it will never be good enough. But at least she is willing to step out there and lead by example in some way, shape or form. So unless we are going to come up with a, a plan that is going to work, that will make them listen to us, what do we do? Well, Miss, let me ask you a question, sir, people. One second. I just want to talk to my impression real quick. Let's say, hypothetically speaking, right, that your family, see, had a plantation in Jamaica. Mm -hmm. See? And, you know, let's say that you're worth 500 million. See? And let's be honest. Are you willing to, like, cash out the 500 million and just pour that back down into country that your great great grandparents or whatever seen were participating are you going to do that are you going to basically go back to zero just all to the goodness just because it was right and yada 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 and you have to sell the car sell the house everything the on the road are you going to do that moment in a in the um what's the word that donna likes to use um euphoristic world we, we you know that would be the right thing to do you we spread it across the board that should right. be the right you, thing to do no. but honestly if would i'm going to be honest it? i'm not going to reset yes. to zero because it was not thank me you. who did it thank you right thank you but thank you. i am going to acknowledge and i am going to see to it that every family that we come together and fix the issues going forward i don't agree personally and i've said this here i don't agree with giving money to individuals you know what i want to see as reparations for me free education free health care let us improve the infrastructure let us make sure that people live decently let us have no, fair he, wages. Those are the things. Because I personally believe if I cut a check today, and I'm just throwing a figure for $100,000, I guarantee you within less than a month, that $100,000 is gone. That is nothing. How about fixing the potholes in Jamaica? So that's why I, I said infrastructure, Newville. That's why I said infrastructure. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right, more may I, yes. May I, may I interject, yes, Chief. Go right ahead. Let's hear your perspective. So listen, being being an advocate and a, and a part of the reparations movement for decades now, this is my personal experience mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and current experience. You, I will never, ever, ever betray the criminal activity that was placed on the heads of my ancestors. I will never... I will be relentless in making sure that if there is an act of accountability, I will take it and I will use that just like you build a house. You start at the bottom and you lay a foundation. If somebody wants to ad make an admission, then we're, we have a starting point. If someone wants to tell you, give you, give you the roadmap of how this wealth was established, we don't have... We don't, this is the trick game. 
We let other people, the same people we criticize and dictate how we demand reparations and what that should look like. Restitution, respect, and repair. The three R's. You don't get to tell me that I don't get a check. I don't get infrastructure improvements. I don't get land development. I don't get federal grants. I don't get tax relief. I, reparations does not have to be fractionalized. It doesn't have to be placed in little, little, little pieces because you didn't take pieces of a person's life. You took a whole life. You took whole societies. You took whole cultures. There were people, slavery is not new to the world, but let's face the fact, chattel slavery didn't happen to everybody. And we need to be very real and very clear about that. What Marcus Garvey did, the most high Marcus Garvey, he understood something that needed to happen. What we are missing, we it's like this, we have this historical amnesia. You got to think about why it didn't work and what generations of people followed him who, who tried to implement act, uh, uh, programs and processes of liberation and freedom and all these other things. What happened to all those people, generation after generation after generation? We act as if, we act as if we never, ever were unified in the United States of America. When we have historical count after historical count after historical count. Look at Tulsa, Oklahoma, where I'm from. You destroyed a whole, we had 30, 51 black towns in one state. It almost became the first all black state in the United States. After they destroyed it in 1921, destroyed that prosperous black community, guess what the headline said the next day? We must never let little Africa happen again. Those people meant that. The number of patents that black people had during the 1920s dropped exponentially as a result of terrorism in black communities across the United States. To remind you, don't you ever unify, don't you ever get back together. By the time the second, third generation hears about that story, we will have, we will have adopted a policy of thought that says we are to blame for our own problems. And then we will internalize it and we will hate our very existence. We will hate our legacy. We will hate whatever we have because we don't, we never honored the past. We never honored those great ancestors who took every effort to do what needed to be done. If those people want to take, I don't, you ain't got to liquidate all your access assets. What you got to do is make an admission so we can actually calculate the actual debt that you actually owe. Because if you base it on individuals, which is not an individual act, it is a cultural act against another culture, another whole group of people. Then you introduce an illusion called race and you get people to conform to the idea of that illusion. Then what happens? You control the narrative for the remainder of your days and every generation will fight a war on your battlefield. The one you created with bias that is that is completely unfair, which we are. We've always understood that. We cannot be selective in how we how we want to adjust this trauma. I guarantee you there's not a single one of us on this call who would say, hey, listen, my house got robbed. They burned. My, I mean, my house got robbed. They burned my house down to kill my family. Oh, well, we're never going to get anything from it. Don't ever expect them to uh, give us any repair for our damages. None of us would ever think like that ever. And to think that we can let thousands, millions of our own ancestors be obliterated be mutilated, be, be totally erased from history and allow that to happen to make an excuse as to why we can't get or why we shouldn't get is, is BS. It is so, we are, the, de the level of damage that we have incurred is so incalculable. We can't even begin to fathom 
the degree based just being a part of this movement for so long the things that i've seen and read in institutions as long as you got people who benefit from racism you will always have racists you are if you are a benefactor of a system of oppression and you have leveraged yourself you didn't have to be alive because you have not negated the benefits of having your having your ancestors exploit other people and you live off of it guilt free guilt free that's some obs you won't be guilt free under my watch because i'm going to remind you the only reason you have the advantage, the only reason there is an equity gap, the only reason there is a life expectancy gap is because you created a system that stressed us the hell out. And it caused us social economic disparity beyond repair. So why can't we get together? Because we got a whole dang system that we have to fight on a daily basis. So everybody's fighting just to survive in a, in a decrepit society. And we want to give them a break. We want to make excuses for them about why they can't pay us. They can go pay you. They can go do what they're doing in Ukraine. They can go all over the globe and we ain't got sh nothing to say. Some of us. So that's you can dismiss. That's BS. That is complete BS. Our ancestors, oh, they deserve better. They deserve better from us. Because they left us with a baton. Some of us just too lazy to run with it. And we, yeah, we want to spout the names of great ancestors who did things that were that were that would be deemed impossible during a time period when we when we were at the so-called bottom of the pole. We got to do better. Our ancestors deserve us to do better. That's it. Thank you, Chief. Thank you. I I, I don't. I have nothing to say after that. <laughs> you know thank you so much uh whose mic is open donna, donna go right ahead yeah just to add what she said to add to some of the stuff that was said earlier we talk when we talk of repar uh, reparations we talk as though we have to start by just distributing money what about we start by actually the stuff that can be accounted for why don't we give back like the, the benin bronze and why don't we the same records that was used by that family to know the enslaved people in Grenada, they have those records. Why don't we start by actually seeing what was taken from these countries, you know, and what we have that can readily be given back even before we look at anything else? Why don't we look at that? Why don't we, why, why don't France start paying back Haiti? Because that, 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 those monies that is owed is documented. And these are not any abstract stuff. These are stuff that is owed to these countries. Why don't we start there? Why do we have to try to start by, oh, you expect me to come and give you money for what my ancestors did? We, we haven't even got to that yet. First, start by giving it back. You could start in the museums and give it back to the countries where it was stolen from. You know it was stolen. We know it was stolen. But you're coming up with all kind of reason, oh, I can't give you because you can't take care of it. Who cares? Give it back, give it back. We could start there, and then we could move on. But as Chief said, if we don't hold them responsible, how can we blame them? We know the Chase banks, and we, we, we know the church and was complicit, and they, they own chattel slaves and stuff like that. But we go to the same church today and we give them 10%. 
You think we don't know that? Oh, what do we say? God is love? What do we say? How do we justify it? So there are institutions we could hold accountable. And if we start holding these institutions accountable, then we could start building up the pressure for the case. Because if the, if the Anglican Church was responsible for having a hundred chattel slaves in Grenada, the Anglican Church could definitely compensate. The Catholic Church definitely could compensate. They have all that money down there in the Vatican doing what? So these are places you could start. It doesn't have to be with the utopian. It's the concept that everybody get a million dollars. No. There is my case. All right. Thank you, Donald. I can take one more comment before we keep going. Go ahead. Yeah. Go right ahead. Who is this, James? Yeah, me, James. Yeah. Morning. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, we talk about this a lot in, in, in this space. And it's, it's just because, you know, I say it all the time. The blueprint is there. But it's almost like, you know, the America with the culture, the cultural dominance across the world. They try to kind of muffle stuff that we should be hearing and put out loud on, on speakers what we shouldn't be hearing. Because, you know, the blueprint is there. Marcus Garvey, for, for anyone who follow Marcus Garvey and Hesselassie, the words, like Bob Marley have most of those words in his songs, but to, to hear it, you know, they're comfortable um, with the um, Dr. King, doing the Dr. King um, speeches every year. They're comfortable with... Nelson Mandela's speech every year, all the time. You hear those um, belting out on speakers. And the, uh, with, with those speeches, it encompasses like peace, love, unity, and stuff like that. And if you listen to um, Bob Marley's song, Everywhere is War, those are words taken from a speech from Asa Lassie. And if you, if, you, if you read those words or you listen to him speak, you, you would understand you know, like I've said it in this space before, like there's no peace without war. You don't get back your rights until you fight for it. They're not going to lie down and give you reparation. They're not going to, you know, like you have to, you have to fight for it. And if you, if you hear those, listen to those words, and that's why you're not going to hear a Hesselassie speech. That's why you're not going to hear Marcus Garvey's speech unless you're in the circle. So... Us as black people, that's what we need to understand. You know, like, no democracy on the face of this earth get what they want without fighting for it. So we have to understand that, you know, there, there, there's no peace without war. Just a piece of Until the philosophy which old one race superior and another inferior is finally and permanently discredited and abandoned everywhere is war it's a war that until they're no longer first class and second class citizens of any nation until the color of a man's skin is of no more significance than the color of his eyes miss a war 
that until the basic human rights are equally guaranteed to all without regard to race. And it's a war that until that day the dream of lasting peace world citizenship rule of international morality will remaining but a fleeting illusion to be pursued but never attained now And until the ignoble and unhappy regime that hold our brothers in Angola, in Mozambique, South Africa, sub-human bondage, have been toppled, totally destroyed. Well, everywhere is war. Donald, I think I cut you off. I do apologize. Go right ahead. No, no, no. I was finished. Oh, I thought... who? So who said they were going to piggyback on what um, James had said? Okay, I must be hearing doubles. All right. Okay. Yeah, moments. Can I say one more thing? Yes. Um, before you move on? Yeah. And I think one of the things that I'm frustrated... People might might see differently, like people in the room might see differently. Like I'm frustrated with the constant, you know, fight about, you know, like our culture and stuff like that, our heritage in schools. And the reason why I'm frustrated about that is because if we don't know it as a people or people, we're not teaching it in our homes. You know, we have to, you know, they say learn to dance a yard before you dance abroad, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if if the average home um, of African descent, we were teaching our kids all of these things about our culture, our rich, not, not about slavery, our rich culture. If we were teaching our kids all of these things and it was embedded in, in us as a people, then, you know, then we could go out there and say, okay, put it in the school because, you know, it's a part of American history, it's a part of North America history, right? But we're fighting for something that we are not even interested in how many parents are sitting down with their kids and, and, and telling, them, telling them that, look, your, your here is not 
um, this is beautiful. This, this here that you have is not something to feel ashamed about. Um, we were kings and queens in Africa and stuff like that. So if we're not doing that in our home, how do we expect a system of government is going to fund millions of dollars to put that in the school to teach white kids, to teach Filipino kids, to teach Indian kids about black culture when the family, the parents in the homes are not teaching their kids. They have no interest in it. So I feel like we have to take a personal accountability and start teaching our kids about our culture, our roots. And as I said before, like my two kids were in a, we, we put them in an African study class where they, they do extra lessons, where they see black teachers teaching them. They're learning about their culture. So we have to take the initiative first before we, we fight in elections and stuff like that. Expect we lost you, James, or is it me? Is it me or is it James? Hmm. Folks, please let me know if you're hearing me. Are you able to hear me, folks? Yeah, you're live. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. I, I lost the last part of what James said, but I understand for the most part because I heard most of what he said. Okay. So let me read some comments from the chat before we move on. Crystal said, you know, there was someone who questioned about what happened to the slaves and their descendants in the UK. Most Africans in the UK come from the Caribbean or Africa. The UK has not returned any stolen artifacts, Crystal also said. Julie said, I think they returned the Benin statues to Nigeria. Yes, was it England? We did speak about the Benin statues being returned. We did speak about those. Also, hold on. Um, let's, let's talk about the crown jewels for a moment, though. Moment. Hold on. I'm on a time. Oh, I'm on. Really? I, I have a timeline, Newville, so I have to just read the comments and keep it moving. I do apologize. Um, I agree with the few stuff, but we have it already and we see where we see where that has gotten us. Give us money. If Tyrone, I, and I think I know what Crystal wants to say mocks it up then let him there there will be okay and i'm think just do right by it okay crystal then says the love i i love the they love the i have a dream speech but those speeches after that are not promoted and i can attest to that because i don't know any of the speeches after the i have a dream as james pointed out that is highlighted every year these are the ones we should listen to and Crystal said, our hair is an antenna. The more we straighten, the more we break our connection to God. All right. Well, thank you, everyone. Thank you, um, Crystal. Thank you, Donald, James. And where, where's Chief? Okay. Why am I not seeing Chief? It's Chief. Okay, there he is. All right. Thank you, Chief, for your input. And unfortunately, we have to keep it moving. And to your point, Anuville, not to ignore you, but we did speak at length some months ago, especially when the queen died, about the jewels, the crown jewels. All right. Um, in the brew on the entertainment, which is the entertainment segment from the international news, Prince William got a very large sum in a Murdoch settlement in 2020. 
Yeah, from the British newspaper arm, and that's according to court documents that were made public on Tuesday. The funds were kept quiet for years, but came out now because of another lawsuit filed by William's younger brother, Prince Harry. He alleges employees of Murdoch newspapers hacked into Royals' phones and unlawfully gathered information from them for two decades. And got to take a quick break. When we get back, we have news out of North America. Keep it locked. Here is some Tina Turner for us. Restore our calm. Thank you to everyone listening online on the Quality Music Zone, QMZRadio.com, and everyone listening on JanoRadio.com. Thank you for tuning in. Keep it locked. This one is one of my favorites from Tina Turner. I'm going to pull it up. Let's stay together. Mm-hmm. 
Let me say the same baby Since we've been together Ooh, loving you forever Is all I need Let me be the one you come running to My Clubhouse family, thank you for being here with me. Thank you for choosing to join me every Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern for Coffee Intel World News on the Go, where I read the news and we share our views. Here's a little Aretha Franklin. We're going to rock steady and we're going to get back to business at the top of the hour.
Rock steady indeed. Thank you so much, Aretha Franklin, for that reminder. Um, let me. You know what time it is when you hear this one, right? <laughs> You slipping now? Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. This is America. Time for stories out of North America. Okay, first up, according to the Associated Press, the U.S. is to send nuclear ballistic submarines to korean peninsula story um is coming to us via wsvn presidents joe biden and yoon suk yeol on wednesday will sign an agreement that includes plans to have u.s nuclear armed submarines dock in south korea for the first time in more than 40 years a conspicuous show of support to Seoul amid growing concern about nuclear threats by North Korea. And that's according to senior Biden administration officials. The planned dock visits are a key element of what's being dubbed the Washington Declaration, aimed at deterring North Korea from carrying out an attack on its neighbor. It is being unveiled as Biden as hosting Yoon for a state visit during a moment of heightened anxiety for both leaders over an increased pace of ballistic missile tests by North Korea over the last several months. The three senior Biden administration officials who briefed reporters on the condition of anonymity ahead of the official announcement said that Biden and Yoon aides have been working on details of the plan for months and agreed that occasional and very clear demonstrations of the strength of U.S. extended deterrence capabilities needed to be an essential aspect of the agreement. The agreement also calls for the U.S. and South Korean militaries to strengthen joint training and better integrate South Korean military assets into the joint strategic deterrence effort. As part of the declaration, South Korea will affirm or reaffirm its commitment to the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty, an agreement signed by several major nuclear and non-nuclear powers that pledged their cooperation to stem the spread of nuclear technology. Is this a form of um, poking the bear? <laughs> Whew, Lord child, I-, I ain't got no room. In my life, if um, North Korea decide they're going to put, you know what, go right ahead. Yo, all I'm trying to say right now is that there's a lot of people in America that are hungry right now. There's the veterans that bled for the country that need help right now. But they're bang over the money for the Ukraine conflict, not a war. They're pushing war. Biden what they're that whole administration they're pushing war you know why because there's money in war seen like my whole take this whole ukraine russia situation you know canada is involved america's involved that is a, a regional conflict seen we just got to a one of the, the harshest times in human history with the three years of the lockdown. See? You have people that are in Canada and in America and in other countries. They're citizens. 
people that pay taxes for over 50 years that are hungry right now that need assistance and then what Canada's doing 49 million what America's doing another 82 billion or blah whatever there's something going on seeing this is not the movements of peace this is the movements of war if North Korea really wanted to launch something they would have done it already let's be honest if they really wanted to go into South Korea already or whatever they would have done it seeing so you putting that over that's so and you know closer ties and then the closer ties to Taiwan, China already done said, I know you're not talking about China, you're talking about North Korea, but same type of frequency. China done said like, yo, if Taiwan is ours and anybody want to violate, we're going to deal with them as well. Seeing? So, like what, what that whole administration is doing right now, this is not for peace. This is just for war and just to keep the money spending because if you have a company seen that makes a bomb that costs 500,000, it's a product that you make once, it gets used once. Seen, great product to have. Right? And we all know that there are certain towns in America and everybody is basically working at the plant and yada, yada, yada. So it's just you know, arms trade, man. That's really what it is. Right? They can try to spin it as much as they want. But they're pushing war. Mm -hmm. Seeing? Mm -hmm. All right. That's me. All right. Thank you, Nouvelle. Next up, DeSantis talks trade with South Korean officials. This story is courtesy of the Associated Press via WSV in Miami. Meeting with South Korea's Prime Minister today to discuss the economy. The governor's overseas tour was booked to boost his international profile, as many see him as a potential presidential candidate. He's expected to visit Israel and the UK next. Um, DeSantis, we have issues here in the, in Florida. That's all I'm gonna say. Um, stop, stop ignoring Florida. You're responsible for Florida. Stop giving somebody else the job in, of fixing Florida. Please get your ass back home. That's all I'm gonna say. Um, Texas Agriculture Department's new dress code is based on biological gender. This story is courtesy of NPR. <laughs> the Texas Department of Agriculture is ordering its employees to comply with a new dress code, mandating they abide by it in a manner consistent with their biological gender. An ACLU attorney says it violates federal law that bans employment discrimination based on one's sexual orientation or gender identity. In a copy of the April 13 memo first obtained by the Texas Observer, the new dress code handed down by Sid Miller, the state's agriculture commissioner, is required by all employees as a part of a dress code and grooming policy. Employees are expected to comply with this dress code in a manner consistent with their biological gender. The new dress code restrictions for employees will replace the previous one outlined by the state's the state agency's employee handbook, the Observer reported. The original dress code made no references to biological gender. The new dress code policy will apply to all employees of the department, including interns and contractors, according to the policy. Those who violate the mandated dress code 
may face severe consequences and may be asked to leave the premises to change into clothing that will comply with the policy. If problems with an employee's dress continues, an employee can face remedies up to and including termination. It is unclear whether whether the decision to change the dress code began with Miller's office or is a result of a mandate higher up within the state's government. The Texas Department of Agriculture did not immediately respond to NPR's request for comment about the new dress code. Brian Klosterbor, an attorney with the ACLU of Texas, told the Texas Tribune that the new dress code violates Title VII of the Federal Civil Rights Act, which bans employment discrimination based on one's sexual orientation or gender identity, in addition to the First Amendment's right to free expression. State agencies should be focused on doing their jobs and not discriminating their own against their own employees and trying to make political statements through their agency regulations. There is no important governmental interest that this can meet. The new dress code comes on in the wake of several anti-LGBTQ bills and laws that have been introduced in the state over the last few years. Last year, Texas Governor Greg Abbott directed the state's Department of Family and Protective Services to investigate certain gender-affirming care for transgender children as possible child abuse. In 2021, Abbott signed into law House Bill 25, which requires all public school uh, students to compete in interscholastic athletic competitions based solely on their assigned sex at birth. The law which went into effect in January 2022, made Texas the 10th state to enact similar legislation. Last year, nearly 300 anti-LGBTQ bills were filed during state legislative sessions. However, only 29 of those bills were signed into law. And I also have another video that I want to play. It is titled, Republicans Oppose Violence Against Women Act. In today's If We Burn, You Burn With Us, Republican women have voted for men that will force them to stay with their abuser. Yes, they have. We told you they weren't going to stop. Now, for reference, 172 Republicans oppose the Violence Against Women Act. As we speak, there's a little lawsuit working its way through the courts that will get rid of no-fault divorce in Texas. And for context, here's Republican Senator J.D. Vance. This is one of the greatest tricks that I think the sexual revolution pulled on the American population, which is the idea that, like, well, okay, these marriages were fundamentally, you know, they were maybe even violent, but certainly they were unhappy. And he's not happy that women can get out of it. No-fault divorce allows women to escape abusive relationships. And Republicans want to get rid of it. It's happening in Texas as we speak. They are sowing the field with propaganda. Look at Candace Owens who said that women shouldn't be able to vote because they're too emotional. Women shouldn't be able to get divorced because they're too emotional. If we burn, you burn with us. Javette, what's going on in Texas? Javette? A lot of good shit. Oh, sorry. Newville, I'm gonna, you oh, don't sorry. let me put you down sorry. in the audience. Uh, Javette, I, I, What's what's going on over there in Texas? If you can speak, hmm? this is just <laughs> a bunch of frackinackle. Hmm? Just a bunch of frackinackle. Hmm. So that's what we're doing, peddling backwards. Hmm? And to think that women are supporting this move, right? 
is it that we really want, women? Not us. We know what we want in here, right? We, we know what we want. But I'm speaking to the larger population. What is it that y'all want? You want to go back to being <laughs> insignificant, inconsequential, no voice, no opinion, no nothing, just being a mattress? Is that what you want? That's how you're content. That's what you're content with? Being someone's doormat? They wipe their feet on you? I don't get it. Moments, you have to understand that a lot of the, especially Republican based, a lot of the women who support stuff like this, they don't see themselves as like that's going to affect them in any way. Um, and it's just the way, like, America, the, the way the con, because, okay, just look at the Constitution of America. Um, you know, when, when, when they say, like, all men are created equal, when that was written in the Constitution, um, do you think they mean, you know, like, black men, white, you know, you know black women and stuff like that? No. So um, when they're doing these type of thing and they're, they have stuff that are going up against, like, when they say, like, women, they're, they're probably thinking, like, minority. Like, a lot of these women um, consider themselves different and would say, like, this is not going to affect us. And if, it, if, it, if it's affecting, like, black women or Filipino women or, you know, other groups, you know, tough for them. But we are different. We're privileged women. So we're going to support it. So... Yeah, a lot of these the support for a lot of these stuff don't make sense. But when you when you you look in the complexity like of the American constitution, like it's it's confusing and the politics is to me the most confusing politics in the world. Because as I said yesterday, like you know, in other countries, um they spend probably ten percent of, of their 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 debate, political debate talking about Issues like you know, you know, LGBTQ rights, um, abortion rights, and stuff like that. But ninety percent is what everybody needs to survive. Whether you're straight, gay, black, white, you need healthcare, you need good working condition, you need jobs. And a lot of countries, even what you were talking about with Germany um, this morning, they focus on the things that everybody benefits from, and they're not like fighting you know, busy fighting a woman that wants to do something that might affect her, her but it's not going to affect the millions of people in America. So that's where I think America is going wrong. Mm. So a moment. Yes, Chief, go if right I, ahead. I yes, Chief, go right ahead. So Texas, we, we have to remember Texas wants to secede. So Texas is trying to engineer a state that only inhabits people who are ready to conform. So you create some really drastic, completely unintelligent legislation, ordinances, whatever you need to do to basically purge the state of the unwanted, of the unwanted. you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm, to get people mm -hmm. to conform. It's easy to get people to conform that way because you're not just kicking people out of the state. You're just saying, we want to keep the people who, who will adhere to the mission of Texas. Mm -hmm. And we have to remember that. How do you how do you secede from a state with full of full of rebels? You, it's not possible. So you make the state un <laughs> unwant, you know, where you just don't want to live there. 
Why? I'm sorry. There's a lot of there's a lot of Texas bashing and Republican bashing going on right now, and I have to play devil's advocate. I am sorry. See, you see, within the great state of Texas, seen, it's a conservative place. There are certain counties that are dry counties. You can't even buy liquor. It is what it is, right? No. The story that was read earlier by Moments was talking about a dress code situation where they want men to be dressed in the dress code that they designate. No, the women. Okay. The men are saying women. And, are, yeah. Right. And, it, and then the woman to be dressed accordingly. You see, the reason why I, I made that specific statement is because it's men and there's women, right? Okay, cool. Now, if you are being employed by a company and that company was started by whoever it was started by and they have a vision for their business and I understand keeping up with the times and yada, yada, yada. But, you know, there's certain jobs that you apply for that do require you to wear a uniform, do require you to groom yourself a certain way to fall in line if you want the job. If you don't want the job, then don't take the job. Don't go into the job and try to change and pressure the dynamic for them to conform for you. See? Let's also not forget that mental health is a very serious problem. That human beings, whether you're part of the LGBT community or part of if you're just part of the human race, everybody has problems. That's what we can all agree on. I think what's happening is that in life, there is a reaction to every action. So when things start going a certain type of way, that is a little bit too left, then things are going to start to have to go a little bit right to try to find that happy medium in between. Seeing? Because I'm sorry... If I was working for the Department of Agriculture, right? I'm not thinking about anything other than putting on clothes and going to work. It is not a political statement. This is this is a this is these these are not farmers. You know what I'm saying? So if they want to prevent, you know, somebody that identifies as whatever to dress up as whatever to come into work and that's not going to work for you and you own the business then doesn't the business owner have some type of rights to protect a certain um you know culture within his organization that he's trying to create or if i was to if i was to interject here dj if i go to a place to work as a black man and i have locks you're telling me that my employer should tell me cut my locks because he doesn't. No, 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 sir. I never said that because you're talking about your hair and a potential religious. We're talking about what you're wearing to go to work. I'm talking about you wearing a pair of pants versus wearing. Um. Ah, uh, let me let me Neville, extreme here. Neville, stop but, moving around. It's it, we're hearing a, a bunch of background noise in, in the mic. Remember, we're on radio, so yeah. Stop oh, moving sorry. Around. Sorry about that. What I'm saying is that instead of you going to work with a pair of trousers, you're going to work in a G-string or a thong. 
because that's what you want to wear to go to work. See, without any considerations that I and I morning everyone good morning I don't, I don't know what just happened did you is it me saying it or i i don't know i just i everything stopped, moments are you so there I'm just saying hello good morning well hello yeah hi i guess you guys didn't hear what i said all right cool no problem yeah your mic went on mute newville and everyone was on mute just now so i don't know what happened okay what i was simply trying to say is that the the gentleman i spoke earlier about his dreadlocks and thing that's not really what we're talking about broski we're talking about what you wear to go to work. See? I don't think anybody has the right to tell anybody what type of hairstyle or how you're supposed to, whatever. Anything to do with your hair, none of that. If you want to grow your beard, grow your beard, blah, whatever. However, if going in for the job, that them say, yo, like if you are, as an example, living in Toronto, right? If you want to be a police officer, see? Then the expectations are going to be clean shaven, yada, yada, yada. That's what it is. That is their uniform. If you want to grow your beard or whatever, and you want to be a police, then you have two decisions that you can make. You can either trim, seen, and get clean shaven and get the job, or reject the offer. And like women going to work looking what a woman looks like that's basically what the article is saying and the fact that they even have to put this through goes to show you how far left things have gotten at this point where even this is even a conversation imagine that we would not be having this conversation in 1996 i can tell you this all right so um donald you, I know you were trying to say something earlier. Go right ahead, please. I don't know what happened. Um, I had to leave and come back um, into the space. But Donald, I remember hearing you saying something. Go right ahead, please. I hope you all are hearing me. Okay. I can hear you. Okay, perfect. Thank you, Sonette. Where's, where's Donald? Okay, let me... Maybe he took a break. Okay. All right. So, Chief, go right ahead. Go right ahead, Chief. No, I was just going to say, Donnie, he went to go get the employee handbook. (laughs) 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 You know what, Chief, you're a hot mess. So we <laughs> Lord have mercy. Oh gosh. <sighs> okay. Um 
<laughs> next up so i do have a video courtesy of cnn uh this school teaches african American history course rejected by DeSantis. The college board is making changes to its AP, Afri AP African American Studies course for high school students amid criticism from Florida's Governor Ron DeSantis, who is a potential front runner for the 2024 GOP presidential nomination. This is all following a public spat between the two parties. CNN's Ed Lavandera visited McLean High School in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where the pilot version is being taught and spoke to teachers and students. And let's go ahead and load this up so we can listen. We need paper. We need our pencils. Darren Williams is taking these students on a journey through black history of the early 20th century. The Great Migration, Harlem Renaissance, and jazz. Williams is teaching the inaugural course in AP African American Studies at McLean High School in Tulsa, Oklahoma, alongside Shekinah Hall, teaching a second class. All these folks are going to be, in their own ways, documenting and creating black culture. McLean is one of just 60 schools in 33 states across the country teaching this new AP class. Their culture now begins to take a different shape and it causes a rebirth of African-American society in Harlem, New York. McLean High School is located in a city where the lessons of black history were long hidden. Here along the street, all of these plaques mark where businesses once stood. There will be banks, there will be grocery stores. We walked with Mr. Williams and Miss Hall in the historic Greenwood neighborhood of Tulsa, the site of one of the worst race massacres in U.S. history. A once thriving black community known as Black Wall Street, it was burned to the ground in 1921 and as many as 300 residents were murdered by a white mob. And there's generations and generations of Oklahoma residents who were never told about this. Yeah, it was history that was hidden. What does teaching this class mean to you? I want students to know that African-American history is American history, it is world history. We're there to make sure that we're educating our students that we are being a force for them. But the AP African American Studies class has drawn criticism from some conservative political leaders like Republican Governor Ron DeSantis, who has rejected the class in Florida. We believe in teaching kids uh, facts and how to think, but we don't believe they should have an agenda imposed on them. The college board, which sets the curriculum, made some changes to the course for the state's consideration, but also says the political criticism has moved from healthy debate to misinformation. Good morning, good morning. McLean High School principal Renee Rabofsky says she jumped at the chance to run this pilot program. She's worked at this predominantly black high school for eight years and says her school needs this class. Florida has banned this class. Do you worry that the same can happen here? I try very hard not to live in that place. The optimist in me says no, but the, the realist in me says, of course I'm fearful. Of course I am. How come blues and jazz are not the same thing? Because blues is jazz's mother. Students say the class has brought history to life in a way they've never experienced before. I feel like if we embraced it, we would be more together and we'd be more understanding. Like we learned about, about way more people, not just Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, Malcolm X. We learned way more about slaves and all that. So do you guys feel like you're kind of like the torchbearers make, of making sure that this history doesn't get forgotten? 
you know, our history is important history, and we're not trying to indoctrinate or, like, change people's perspectives. The point of history is to get the facts and you build your own opinions. Learning is limited if it's only an intellectual enterprise. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't get to the place of the feeling, of the emotion, um, it has not done everything that it can do with us. Mm -hmm. So the feeling is a part of the learning. All right. Uh, uh, Chief, is that you? Kira <laughs> Connor. I heard she. You, you better know it. <laughs> It's in my blood. That school is in my neighborhood. Mm. <laughs> See, this is not, this is not, this is not, I don't talk just to be talking. You got to, you, we have to show and prove. And your word is your bond. And like James said earlier, we have to teach them. Mm -hmm. We don't give a, about somebody's ban. We're going to make sure our children know. We, we have a responsibility to make sure they know, not just them days, but them other days. You're going to know what we contributed to society. You're not, not going to get the chance to dumb down our children and make them think that their ancestors did not contribute to society. Mm -hmm. So let me ask this question, Chief. How do we start a movement to reject certain things being taught in the curriculum if black his if african-american history can't be taught why then are our children being forced to learn about the lies told about christopher columbus the pilgrims why are we forced why are our children being forced to learn about the holocaust can't we start something to say okay ban one ban all or embrace all you just gave the answer. That's that's all you have to do. All you have to do is go into their libraries and say, listen, these are the books that make my children uncomfortable. Huckleberry Finn. Do you not see the racism in these stories? Mm -hmm. We have to be able to say these, hell, doing the Pledge of Allegiance. You're asking my children to pledge allegiance to a former slave owner. Do you understand the, the conflict of interest here? Right. Like we don't. But we're not doing that. That's what they did. They went they went to school board meetings. They took the books to the school board meeting and showed how they made their children uncomfortable until, until we do that. And we say that look, this is this is really dumbing down my child it's, it's it's destroying my child's potential to think that they have any contribution outside of enslavement to the nation. Not to say we can't we should underestimate that either because we built the whole nation. So we got to be very clear about that, too. But that's how that's that's what it's going to take, because when you look at these Instagrams, TikToks, YouTubes, you see in the news, you see these people going to City Hall. I mean, student uh, body, student board meetings uh, or, or school board meetings, and they're, they're raising up these books and saying, look, let me read from this book what this says. That makes my brown or black child really uncomfortable especially since they have to sit next to the person who is the descendant, likely the descendant of somebody who owned my ancestors mm -hmm. or prevented my ancestors from going into a school. It took the military to walk my great aunt into a school building. Or you, you part of that same group that assassinated Martin Luther King or whoever else, you know, whatever, whatever you subscribe to, but I'm just saying, right. We, ha we, we must know 
We have to know the history so that our children know, so you can understand, okay, why is my child not succeeding in the classroom? I took them out of a neighborhood school, put them in a private school or predominantly white school, and they're not succeeding. They're not succeeding because they are, if they don't assimilate, completely assimilate, they're going to be destroyed internally. Yeah. So our, our job is to make sure that our children have a great level of pride and dignity so that they can understand the past. If you don't know your past, you're going to you don't know where you're going. You don't know how you how you got where you are. So children can't say, oh, no, no. The reason you got all these households with no fathers in them is because you got to go back to the 60s and go to the, uh, the Vietnam War when 67 percent of the black male population was in Vietnam. And so when they came, when when the soldiers came home, the majority of homes with children had no longer had a father. That's the first cycle of of homeless of, of households with no fathers. Would follow that the welfare program that said you cannot have a father in home. So you see this you see this obliteration of the family. If our children knew that, they could easily confront anybody on a political level or an edu- academic level and say, let's speak the truth. Then let's go ahead and talk. Let's go ahead and speak the truth. Since you want to talk about since you want to talk about me. And our family identity, our family structure, and the structure of our community. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about why why that community, that that school we're talking about in that, in that uh, program, mm-hmm. that school was underserved, underserved. It wasn't getting the support that it needed from tax dollars, because that community has a low tax revenue. So the community just said, "Listen, we're going to have to take control of our own school." We're going to have to take control of it. We're going to have to participate in it. And we're going to have to make sure these kids succeed by any means necessary. And I'm glad you said that because I do have another video. But before I play the other video, uh, I would love to hear um, Sunette. Sunette, where are you? Can you speak? I'm here. I'm here. Yes. Um, so, um, Chief, when you first start speaking about, like, disallowing some studies or and and like banning books tom sawyer for example is the first one you brought up and others i only disagree with you respectfully um i don't think any book should be banned i think they should all have you know a little notice of what the context of the book is that's fine but the same way because because we are the minority of the people in this country of people of color um It'd be so much easier, and it is, as we see right now, to to silence our voices. So I think what, the second part, I agree with what you're saying. Like, if you have to have schools that are centric to to black people and people of color, that part I might like, go for it. But I don't think any book should be banned. I think we need to, we as parents who are now becoming more educated and like I'm like these AP kids are gonna be at the level where I learned stuff in like in my first couple of years of college because they weren't teaching these things in um in high school. So AP black history, I'm so excited that um not agree with, with banning books and but also like I think it's gonna be our responsibility, and I keep we know we keep giving each other, giving parents more jobs and more jobs and more jobs, but we're parents, and we and we chose mostly to become parents, um, or most of us chose to become parents. So I think it's gonna be a part of our responsibility to make sure get our kids more information about who we are, who we were, who our ancestors were, and what they did and impacted 
this country in which we reside. So that's where I am at that point. All right. Thank you so much, Sanet. And I do have to play this video. My name is Judy P. Before this school year, eight-year-old Dream James was struggling to read. Now she's reading everything. I just like B and that's all. Before it was, I can't do it. I can't spell. I can't read too. Now it's, oh, I know how to sound this out. And I know how to read this. The third grader at Panther Valley Elementary School in rural Pennsylvania had a hard time learning the basics of reading. Her school had introduced a new curriculum a few years ago based on the balanced literacy theory, an approach used in some classrooms nationwide for over two decades. Rather than learning to sound out letter combinations, also called phonics, teachers focused on what's known as cueing, instructing children to use context and other clues to figure out words. This just explains to them what each syllable actually means. Teacher Amanda Cusco at first embraced this new approach. But then as we started kind of digging deeper and and getting into the instruction, you know, we sort of noticed something was missing. So how did it work? As they're reading, they are supposed to look at the picture. Oh, what's this word? Well, look at the picture. Do you maybe know a word part? What could that word be? What word would make sense there? So they weren't actually reading the letters. They weren't reading the words. They were guessing. That didn't work. We realized very quickly that students weren't acquiring the skills to actually sound out words, decode words, spell words. They weren't actually learning to read. By year in, just a quarter of Panther Valley's third graders could read at grade level. In fact, much of the country is facing a child literacy crisis. Just one in three fourth graders was at or above proficiency in reading last year, with nearly four in 10 performing below basic level. It's a social issue um, for all of us, and it's an equity issue across America. But a shift is underway. Education Week reports over the last decade, at least 29 states in the District of Columbia have begun to require an evidence-based approach to reading instruction. Mississippi started back in 2013 when they enacted legislation and policies around requiring teacher prep programs to base their training on the science of reading. From 2013, fast forward to 2019, they have 10 points gained. At Panther Valley Elementary, Principal Robert Palazzo also changed course, replacing balanced literacy after trying it for just a year and a half. Good job. Cold. Cold. Syllable. We've seen students in third grade's decoding skills, meaning sounding out words, um, increase from 20% um, at grade level in the beginning of the year to approximately 60% currently. Dream began the year reading at a first grade level and is now closer to a middle or end of second grade level. She and her mother couldn't be more proud. Now this is what she wants. This is what she likes. She loves to read. She's eager to like, oh, I can't wait to start fourth grade. I can't wait to, you know, to do all this because she's not low self-esteem no more. So um, I want to, there's something else that I want to make mention of too. According to Google, nationwide, on average, 79% of U.S. adults are literate in 2023. 21% of adults in the U.S. are illiterate in 2023. 54% of adults have a literacy level below sixth grade. 
64% of adults in the United States of America, a developed country, first world country, a literacy level below sixth grade. What does that say about us? We are more focused on wars than we are on education. We find the money to pump into wars, but we don't have it to pump into education. But guess what, folks? I think it's Rockefeller, right? Mm. That's what they want. It's working perfectly. It's by design. That's what they want, and that is why they are comfortable with passing laws that will allow children to spend as much time in the workforce during the week and on weekends as adults. Because you know what's going to happen? Money becomes a drug, right? So children are making money and they feel empowered and they're like, yes, there's some sense of independence, right? So they can't wait now to get out of school and chances are there is going to be an increased likelihood, a strong probability that they're going to drop out. And now we have the perfect storm, minimum wage earners, which will only put more money in the pockets of the industrialists, the capitalists, those who prey on the disenfranchised. That is what we're having. More criminals. And create more criminals, right. So we have to make the effort, we as adults, if our literacy level is at the sixth grade, we, we have the ability to hear, right? What are we going to do about it to make sure that our children don't fall into that trap? We got to push back. Push back. And this is where community comes into play. I saw a video yesterday with a woman who was facing, she and her husband, facing um, foreclosure. Of course, it's a reenactment. Facing foreclosure. And, um, of course, the thread of videos, the husband at one point was frustrated with her because she was giving away her time, so to speak, as a teacher to help children, you know, who faced um, circumstances uh, financial circumstances where lack of books in the home, one lost their bicycle, so on and so forth. So she would spend time after school investing in these children so that she could change the trajectory of their lives and the lives of their families. Well, lo and behold, fast forward, um, they're facing foreclosure and not knowing what to do. One student, past student, who isn't a real estate, shows up at the door. She thinks it's the bank, you know, asking, can you just give us a week to pack up our things and move out? And he said to her, reminded her of who he is and what she had done for him, gave her a check. Of course, she can't believe it. And he said, there's a lot more where that came from. Led her and her husband outside to meet with other past students whose lives she helped to shape and they all gave a check and had a GoFundMe and were able to pay off the house so no more mortgage so on and so forth and you know how the story ends and this goes back to community 
who has the time but you see we don't have the german set up we are work 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 because damn you gotta imagine nobody has two three jobs in germany and i'll tell you something as much as jamaica is a developing country classified by many as a third world country even the helper has one job one job but here we are on a mill, uh, you know, we're just grinding, 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 as Damien Marley said, the mill, just grinding, steady, grinding still. So we have to get back to community so that we can help our children, save our children, because they don't want our children to be literate, because that is going to take money out of their pockets. Because when you have a society that is educated, they're going to be asking for more money and damn god forbid you have to shell out millions more and that deny yourself a, a mega yacht god forbid yeah moments so, yes, and to, add to, that, to, to add to that not just community but one thing i've realized um with especially in our community you see as, as sonic said like most most of us as parents we choose to be parents we say we want two three four kids right and I think as a parent, like, it's a natural thing. Like, if it's not natural to someone as a parent, something is wrong with them. You have to sacrifice. Like, it's like when you bring kids into the world, it's like your, your life becomes secondary. You know, you, you, if, if, if it's like one bread, the kids are going to eat and you're going to drink water. And so what I find in our community, like, if, if you see too much of us, too much of too much of us wearing like Jordans and 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 buying the latest um, clothes and stuff like that. What kids? Do, is there any extracurricular activity that they're doing? No, we can't afford it. Yes, you can afford it. You're wearing Jordans like for three hundred and fifty dollars. Um, so why can't you afford to put the kids in music lesson? Why can't you afford to do this with the kids and stuff like that? Sacrifice. Why do you have to have like? Because, like, even with my wife and, and I, we sit down and we say, you know what? We live in, in a city, one car. Like, if we have to, you know, pick up each other or one of us take the train or take the bus, one car. Because two cars, insurance in, in, in Toronto is like $400 a month. You know, payment. So one car. We have to sacrifice for our kids. And, you know, I remember when I was growing up, my foster mother, when I grew up, when I, when I was about 20, 24 or so, she said something to me that, like, like brought me to tears. You know, she was saying that, you know, she went through life and she said, she said, James, like for 15 years or, or 20 years, she said, I did not buy a pair, a new suit of clothes. I did not buy a new underwear, a new bra, a new anything for 20 years. Cause she was working minimum wage and she had seven kids. To, and, and she sent everybody to college and everybody turned out good. Sacrifice community sacrifice and if you look at all the other groups that you mentioned um earlier today community sacrifice we have to learn to do that and we have to do it for ourselves first before we expect government to do it for us yo may i weigh in yes moment, uh, yeah got two minutes because i have one thing to do and then yeah two minutes go ahead Noble, real quick james i'd like to put in something to it all right, so Newville, two minutes. I have to stick to the timeline, Newville, okay? Go ahead, and then you, uh, Chief. No problem. Yo, that was a very nice Kumbaya moment. 
The only freedom is financial freedom. And I understand that sacrifices have been made. Yada, yada, yada. See, I get it. But you know what's another option? Make more money. Okay, See? and make more money and? Yeah, so like, yeah, I get it. Insurance is expensive in Toronto. Make more money. Buy a second car. Make more money. Just, just, just keep going, bro. You know what I mean? Like my my whole thing is like if if you're relying. Okay, I keep. Hello. <laughs> Hello. It's my turn. <laughs> okay, go ahead. His phone is cutting out. His yeah. phone is cutting oh. out. Go ahead, Chi. Oh. Okay, your phone cut out. Okay. All right, you have to oh. speed, up, speed, up, speed up, speed up, speed up, speed up, speed up. Um, Newville, thirty seconds. Speed up. Okay, Chief, no, go I right ahead because time is going. Go ahead, Chief. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so community, back to that. James is absolutely right. Because even during COVID, we said in that same school neighborhood vicinity that we, you played the uh, the thing on audio on. What we did after COVID, we we just assessed it. We said, listen, if we don't find come up with a plan, our children are, who are already left behind, who have who don't have the greatest books that are not updated. They're going to really get left behind when COVID, when they're having to go home because most of these children who are going home to learn and you know have to learn from home are babysitting are preparing meals are doing multiple things while they're parenting while their parents are at work right because you couldn't have you didn't have daycares you didn't have none of this so we knew there was going to be a major deficit so we would say listen we got all these churches in the community why don't y'all set up some day camps for some of the younger children so that the other kids can actually, you know, get the resources and the help that they need. You, we have to find we anything that happens, anything that we can foresee, we have to create a counter narrative or a, create a, a counter to to the things we know are going to happen. And so as a result of that, we were right. There were so many kids who had to repeat a grade after COVID. Uh, primarily black and brown kids. Is that you, it, it Chief? Was, it was is ridiculous, that, is that but you? we knew it was going to happen. So we put something in place. The second thing I want to explain re real quick is uh, what I was what I was talking about with Sunette. I wasn't saying ban books. It was a strategy. We had to go to superintendent and say, listen, why don't you deal with all these books? These books are offensive. Do you know what can happen if we decide we want to do the same thing the other the other the other parties are doing? You won't have any books in school. So it was a strategy, not a not something we were trying to implement because you don't win. You don't. There was nothing to win except like, we didn't want them to surrender to banning books. We wanted them to surrender to the fact that. What you what the whole entire spectrum of education is built on somebody else's glorification. Right. When remember Napoleon Bonaparte said History seconds. is a set of lies agreed upon. 30 seconds. Too. Okay. Sorry, sorry so, to cut you. So, yes. No worries. No worries. So we we understood that. We just had to make them understand that. And it worked. So it was, our plan was, if you don't leave us alone, this is what's going to happen. And it worked. So it was just a strategy. All right. Thank you so much, Chief. Thank you, Nouvelle. Let us go ahead and end this segment on a very good note. New Orleans senior receives a record-breaking $9 million in scholarships, 170 college offers. For those of you on Clubhouse, the link is pinned at the top of the page. Story courtesy of Bala Alert. A black Louisiana senior has met the bar for the U.S. Dennis Barnes has received a record-breaking 
170 college offers and more than $9 million in scholarships. The 16-year-old senior, uh, someone's mic is open. Uh, the 16-year-old senior uh, attends International High School in New Orleans and has applied to 200 colleges. Offers and scholarships are still rolling in for Barnes. He plans to announce his decision on May 2nd and would like to reach the goal of $10 million in scholarships. He said, I submitted college applications in August with an eye on raising the bar high for college admissions. Decision letters were an overflow in my mailbox and hundreds of scholarships. Barnes has excelled in academia, having been promoted to both 10th and 11th grade, WPDE News reported. He has maintained a cumulative grade point average of 4.98 while at the high school and holds leadership positions in the National Honor Society. Barnes is fluent in Spanish and received an official qualification from the Institute of Cervantes for Spain's Ministry of Education, Culture and Sports. And most recently, he was awarded the Jose Luis Baños Award for Excellence in Spanish Language by Maria Page, Honorary Council of Spain in New Orleans. The number of offers Barnes received breaks the previous record documented in the Guinness Book of World Records, which was held by Lafayette High School senior who received $8.7 million in scholarships back in 2019. The school is contacting Guinness to list Barnes as the new record holder. He will graduate May 24th with summa cum laude distinction the highest honor and plans on pursuing a dual undergraduate degree in computer science and criminal justice. He has been earning college credits while in high school from the Southern University of New Orleans, NOLA.com reported. Uh, head of the school of um, IHSNO released a statement on Barnes's achievements and dedication to his education. The road to a successful future is to plan ahead, network with the collegiate partners, and know that if you can see your vision, you can achieve your goal, according to Barnes. Yes, lit, lit, lit indeed. We have to celebrate him, applaud him, and lift him up, keep him encouraged, and may he be a trailblazer, and may others look up to him and realize that we all have choices to make in life, right? And I'm not saying everybody has to be at his level of academia, but we all can make choices. We can all make the choices that um, will benefit us. Is it always going to be easy? No, it will not be, but we can definitely do that. All right. Um, and it's, believe it or not, stories, I can squeeze this one in real quick. Spoke about it on the Rosolo show yesterday. So a Christian teacher claims God told her to become a porn star. I kept hearing and feeling the nudge to help liberate women from their sexual shame, she said. Uh, they say God works in mysterious ways, and this is according to the TorontoSun.com. They say God works in mysterious ways, but for former Catholic school teacher Courtney Tillia, it went further. She claims the Almighty told her to become a porn star. 
Ah, oh boy, Tilia, known for sharing sexy snapshots and videos on social media and raunch, excuse me, raunchy only flat fans, told the Daily Star she was raised in a very strict religious household and was taught to be a good Christian girl. Eventually, Tilia became a teacher of autistic children at a Catholic school in Los Angeles. But she said that something was missing in her life. Before I left teaching... I felt super disconnected from myself and also God. I did not know what my life's purpose was or how I was meant to help others. When I started connecting to myself and to God in a different way, that's, you know, that's what I had been taught in church. I kept hearing and feeling the nudge to help liberate women from their sexual shame. I had so much sexual shame of my own at first. I remember being at a photo shoot that had several porn stars um, (laughs) and I was so triggered. I could feel the judgments that society and religion had instilled in me and I was very aware of it. She also went on to say that part of me felt like their sexual choices and expression were wrong and immoral. I even felt wrong by the association in that moment. But that didn't feel like God telling me to feel that way. According to the pious porn star, she started in adult entertainment with the encouragement of her husband. She says her new sex-rated life makes her not fe- makes her not feel more liberated, but holy and sacred. She said it is her mission to liberate women living in sexual shame. So I just had to leave you all with that one. At least we can laugh for a little bit i know you only have a few minutes but i want to know how her being a porn star liberates me sexually from my shame how what is her you have to come off of this yeah let me let me wrap up let me wrap up on things work on my things let's go ahead and wrap up on air we'll be right back clubhouse Gotta give a big thank you to everyone that tuned in online on the Quality Music Zone, QMZRadio.com. And everyone listening on JanoRadio.com. Thank you to everyone right here with me on Clubhouse. Of course, I always appreciate the conversation, shared views, varying opinions, and interesting perspectives. Looking forward to having you tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. Eastern. It is hashtag TBT, Throwback Thursday, music in retrospect. And of course, we're always discussing the headlines from all around the world. Whatever you do and wherever you go, I do ask that you please be safe. To my folks on QMZ Radio and Jano Radio, this was a Moments With Me media production. And this is Moments With Me signing out.